The sun has got his hat on and he's coming out today. Welcome to Laps Gamer Radio. I'm your host, Mark Hamer, and this is your Laps News Update for the week commencing the 31st of October. Tonight we'll chat a little bit about the games that we've been playing recently, and we'll touch on a few news stories of note. Uh, joining me tonight are Stuart Lee and our old LGR alumni, Mark Chazzy Ray. Good evening, gentlemen. Hello. Good evening. Hello. So, Chazzy, it's been a while since you've been on an episode. Yes. I understand you've got a new podcast going. I have. Do you want to tell us a little bit I about have. that? Um, I've resurrected my old AI bots feed because I was still paying for it. Um, and <laughs> decided to create a new show on there called Honourable Mentions, uh, which is basically the pitch for it is uh, that I sit down with int- people who really got really, really, really interesting ideas about video games and, and how they're designed and, um, and so on and so forth. And I ask them not about what their favourite game is or what the best game of all time for them is, but get them to talk about the game that doesn't quite make it onto their sort of top 10, top 5, whatever. Mm. And yeah, we basically sit down and just have a discussion for an hour uh, about these kind of great games that fall into the grey areas and what they do brilliantly and what they do badly. Because I've always the, just... Um, the, the six out of ten games. That's it, the sixes and sevens the ones, of the world. Yeah, yeah, the ones that try something different but don't quite get there. Absolutely, yeah. That, that, yeah. They're the games that, like, when I, when I sit around and talk to my friends, they're the ones that always get the most discussion and the most yeah. interesting stuff comes out of it. And Yeah, I just wanted to find out. I, it, it all stemmed from I was sat up late one night in bed, bored, and was just thinking about games that didn't... Like, like, making the top 10 as you were and it's like oh I can't make this on the list and then discussing with myself why this wouldn't make the list and I thought do you know what I, I wonder if anyone else does this and uh, yeah luckily um, I've had load, loads of people decided yes they do have these games and they want to chat with me so mm. I'm going to try and make uh, I'm going to try and make six of these at the, uh, as a little series uh, see how it goes and then if people do like it then um, I'm going to carry on and make some more and am nice. I right in thinking this is um, sort of because obviously you know people within like the gaming community, so it's it's enthusiast, but also That's you're it. reaching out to, to uh, what some developers as well and like professional That's industry it. people. That's it. Yeah, ga- games dev, uh, game devs, um, journalists, people in the industry, PRs, um, basically anyone who you know the great and the good of the gaming industry. If I can get them. You know, um, and yeah, it's like you say, and, and podcasters as well. Like people, are, like there's a lot of really, really uh, good podcasters who've got some like amazingly interesting sort of ideas and perspectives on games that you just can't really get anywhere else. Hmm. Do you want to like uh, name a few some of your guests that you've had like so far? Um, well, yeah, I've we well with the first two guests that I've had, I'll, I'll spoil the second one because I haven't put it up yet. But you know, <laughs> I'll spoil it anyway. Is um, <laughs> the first one was with David Turner's from uh, the Computer Game Show. Uh, yeah, I've been a big, massive fan of David from day one. Uh, like, you know, he was literally the first podcast that I listened to was uh, Joypod back in the day, and um, yeah. so now. Um, so now it's been a bit of a uh, bit of a dream come true that he, he literally within minutes of me sending him an email said yeah yeah I'd love to come on and, and have a chat with you and it was just like oh my god this is amazing so uh, yeah so I've got him on the show and the second show which hopefully if I get my bumming gear and my son my newborn son doesn't cry all day every day this weekend 
then <laughs> I will get uh, the second episode up, which is with Chris Regan from the uh, Sausage, sausage Factory. Factory. Yeah, the, the award nom. Yeah, that's it. The, the award nominated Sausage Factory. So. Uh, yeah, uh, he he will be my second guest, and I had an absolute both with both guests so far. I've had an absolute riot. Just some of the some of the games that they've well, the two games that they've picked, are just so not atypical for them. And uh, mm. yeah, they've had some really interesting, just just really interesting discussions about really interesting mechanics and stuff. So yeah, it's been brilliant. It's been really really cool. So um, hopefully, fingers crossed, people like it. And if you do, let me know. And uh, yeah. Yeah, and it's just it's just been great because I've been out of talking about games for quite a while whilst you know one my son's been uh, on the way as it were. So um, yeah, it's been nice to get back into chatting about games again. Nice. Yeah, I was going to say that. I mean, obviously, you know, the po- new podcast and exciting venture, but let's be honest, the real kind of life changing <laughs> event that's occurred yeah. since you've been on is obviously becoming a dad. So you know, I hope that's going you know brilliantly well for you. Oh, it's, it's going brilliantly well at the moment. He's he's just a little bundle of smiles, and uh, and he's sleeping through the night. So I'm I'm a bundle of smiles as well. Yeah, which lucky is, man. Which is the main thing. <laughs> yes, mate. Very lucky. Very very lucky. All right. Um, so moving swiftly on to listeners' questions and comments. Uh, what have our listeners been saying this week? So we had uh, Don Ragnar kindly tweeted in. That's Justin Knowles, and he has put. Because um, we just basically put out a call for questions, queries, or maybe even sort of game suggestions of what people have been, uh, you know, been able to play recently. And he's saying he has completed the campaign mode on Blood Bowl 2, and he would definitely recommend it for lapsed gamers, turn-based and fun commentary. And of course, this was, I believe, Andy, like our very own Andy's game, like his fave game played of last year. So I think um, they might even be trying to set up a way that they can play together. And uh, Chris Regan has put that he is uh, into a lot of retro stuff of late, and the last game he played was Tempest on the Atari Jaguar. One of the other even heard of it. If you if you (laughs) want to play a game that's very similar to that, because he got uh, was it Jeff Minter made that game, and uh, Mm. he got into a lot of litigious trouble recently um, because there's a game called TXK on the PS Vita, which is basically he ripped off his own game because he couldn't get the rights to buy Tempest back. So, uh, yeah, if you want to play a game that's basically Tempest 2000 on the Jaguar, then that's the one to get on. Yeah, and that was with mm. Plus, wasn't it? Like a, a while back, I think that that's was on it. Plus, yeah. Covered in llamas. <laughs> <laughs> well, expect nothing less from Jeff Minter. Exactly. <laughs> uh, one of the other listener replies we had back was from our very own at Kevin I, uh, Kevin. He said another f- uh, fiendish Stuart, uh, saintly Stuart recommendation, which is Ox B. Or auxiliary B on iOS. It's also on Android as well. It's uh, there's no cross save, so he's completed it twice now. Once on each on the iPhone and the iPad. Uh, he says it's a phenomenal little puzzler that's essential for any patch cable nerd. Um, <laughs> this is one of the ones that I've also got. Um, I think it was Adam on the show as well as a fair few people on the Codec Momentums. Yes, because um, Andy and Brown is playing it. Yeah. <laughs> you as well, Mark. Yeah, and me. <laughs> it's yeah. It's a very fun little puzzler that's just about um, sorting out cables and trying to get them sort of the match from your um, your input to your final output. And uh, mm-hmm. yeah, a lot of people are having a lot of fun with it. And it's free. Yeah. There's no excuse. <laughs> As someone who spent uh, untold hours of my life um, rooting patch leads on uh, on, on like uh, pedal boards for guitars. 
Uh, I used to have quite an extensive pedal board for my guitar and like routing patch leads to try and get everything in the, the right order so that everything worked together um, without making horrible squelchy noises. Um, that puzzle game's really, really good. Yeah, it is. It's really it's, well put together, and again, for a freebie, it's fiendish. It's fantastic. I, I think it yeah. was, as far as I can remember, it was put together um, before some sort of music festival or whatever, but thankfully mm. it's actually stayed up on the stores as well um, for people to keep continue playing it. And um, yeah, I text um, a former uh, g- a guest on the show, Andy Palmer, uh, at Remalapta um, on Twitter. I texted him about it earlier on and he downloaded it with a half an hour. He's like, I'm stuck on level 18. <laughs> I need help. <laughs> <laughs> it's really good. Another reply that we've had back was from our very own Adam Ducker, which is at Flameboy84. He asked us, what's the best platforming series outside of the Mario games? Oh, Rayman. I think I know. Yeah, uh, that's uh, I've got a massive soft spot for uh, Rayman Origins and Rayman Legends. Like yeah, those sorry, two they're the ones. I yeah, absolutely adore. They're the ones that I, I mean, I yeah. haven't spent enough time with them, but they're just from the little bits that I've sampled. It's just ingenious, like not just the kind of uh, level mm. design, but how they they sync up the soundtracks with with your movement. You know, the old Mickey Mouse, and so if you kind of um, mm. you're meant to jump to the beats almost like in a sort of a rhythm action game so they've been beautiful but I, I, I'd i be lying if I said I spent any great deal of time with the kind of original Rayman games <laughs> No I never played any of the old Rayman games at all but um, when Rayman Origins came out I loved the, the, loved the look of it and um, the soundtrack is very very French um, and it's sort of like if, that, if you've ever watched any like French comedy films there's like a real like rhythmic sense of humor about them and it's very musical um and that feeds in a lot into to, to origins and legends and they're just like they're not pitch perfect in terms of their movement it's not super meat boy um, and it doesn't approach that level of difficulty um but it feels really good to play it looks great the characters are, are quirky and fun and the, the world is the, the worlds are amazingly well designed and the music's brilliant and the whole thing just works together and i, I just I, I adore those two games mm. just a shame that they only made the two and i don't think they're going to make another one you've got um the ios one haven't you like i think it's raymond adventures that's very um faithful to like the aesthetic yes. that the other two kind of console games had mm-hmm. so that and it's um, like touch screen yeah. as well and everything although I know that Legends was a touch screen parts didn't it because it was originally going to be a Wii U exclusive yeah it was uh, I've got I think is it Rayman Jungle Run yes uh, there's Fiesta Run as one of yeah, them yeah but then there's but then there's Rayman one. Adventures yeah. as well which to be honest it does look yeah pretty much like a continuation of the levels from uh, from Legends I mean obviously a lot of you guys uh played the um, Ratchet and Clank, like the latest one in that, so I, I guess if we're not just talking about 2D platformers, that must get a shout as Sony's kind of response oh, to yeah. Mario, I guess. Yeah, in terms of like 3D platformers, there's been there's been, been some real good ones, uh, the, the 3D action platformers, yeah, the, the Ratchet and Clank, um, and uh, the last um, Sly Cooper, uh, Sly Cooper Thieves in Time that came out on yeah, PS3. Yeah, that was fantastic. And that was really, really good. Yeah. And, you know, I've got big soft spot for the old Spyro the Dragon games and uh, Crash Bandicoot back in the day as well. Yeah, and obviously like lots of Nintendo franchises. <laughs> so like the Yoshis, the Kirby's, the Donkey yeah. Kong's. <laughs> Notice we've, we've not said Sonic. <laughs> <laughs> yes, for a good reason. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I can't really even think to mention um, Donkey Kong Country on the SNES. That's 
that was my second favourite game on the SNES after Super Mario World. Like, mm. I absolutely adore that game. I think that was the game that wasn't it. There was a time where they were losing ground. I think because that would have been the whole kind of Mega Drive or the Genesis versus the SNES. I think Donkey Kong was the title that really mm-hmm. pushed them back to the forefront because it was like groundbreaking, wasn't it, at the time with the old, um, you know, the, the way they, they did the graphics. I forget the technical term, but it was like a new thing, wasn't it, that they, they had developed in that game because yeah. it just looked like a massive step up. I know it's kind of dated now when you go back and look at it and sometimes it's like anything you see an old film and the special effects look kind of ugly to your eyes but it really was amazing it was a massive cheat wasn't it it was what they did was they rendered 3d objects in a t- in, a, in 2d yes basically with yes to you know on the flat plane and then use them as sprites yeah that's it because it was you're right because it's pre-rendered i mean like i say when you look at it now it, it kind of is actually quite jarring um but no, I can yeah, remember that was a, that was an incredible game, and you know highly sought after. And that those games are still, I think, really really highly regarded. That's that series, like the Donkey Kong Returns series, by people who are hardcore. The ones on the 3DS and the Wii U are absolutely uh, phenomenal games, like up mm. there with some of the best platformers you'll ever play, and amazing soundtracks as well. Oh yeah, Tropical Freeze is fantastic. Yeah. Tropical Freeze, yeah. yeah. I haven't got around to playing it yet. It's on the list. I'm slowly working my way back through the the, 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 the must-play Wii U games, but I haven't got to that one yet. <laughs> one last um, submission that I had was from Psalm67, um, Calm. He says, Have you written your San- letter to Santa, and if so, what gaming goodies did you ask for? Right, <laughs> I think this kind of plays into the fact that we're actually doing a secret Santa um, <laughs> between the team. And we're hoping to record that one later in the year. So, without necessarily giving any hints or <laughs> anything like that, um, I don't know what I actually want this year. Maybe one or two of the Nintendo Selects that I don't have. Um, so things like Super Mario 3D World or uh, Lego City Undercover. Yeah, both um, essentials. Would probably be on. Yeah, would probably be on my list. Nintendo um, Switch for me. Think- <laughs> I've asked Santa <laughs> to bring March forward to have December. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'm also hoping that I might get um, Tokyo Mirage Sessions um, oh, yes. Sharp FA um, mm. that's definitely on my list and I keep sort of eyeing it up on Amazon because I technically spent some birthday money on the pre-order for Zelda Breath of the Wild on Wii U but as that's not out until next year and if I'm going to be getting a Switch I technically have that pre-order that I could cancel and reusing that money, so I'm still debating that at the minute. Tactics, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, for me, uh, to be honest with you, it's it's a vibe. If anyone you know could get me a vibe in any way, shape, or form, uh, I I would be bouncing off the walls. Uh, I'd be like <laughs> Nintendo 64 kid. Um, <laughs> I, I, I've got very much into uh, like VR and stuff. I, I got a sneak peek of it. I had an Oculus dev kit for a while, and um, that just set me off. Um, and I built an entire PC just to run it, and yeah, got really into it, and then had to give it back. So um, yeah, I've been learning. But since then, I've been sort of dabbling with Unity and getting my head around how to actually create stuff in a 3D world. And now I need something to run it on. So that would be my uh, my little my little treat if Santa could bring it my way, but I don't think he will. It's a bloody expensive treat. It is, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is very expensive, but yeah. Mm. Saving the pennies. Uh, I think mine would be. Um, well, I don't know. I'm hoping 
I can say this because she doesn't listen to this podcast. It's fine. Um, I'm hoping that my missus takes pity on me and my my backlogathon malaise and <laughs> buys me Battlefield One for Christmas, so uh, I can finally join in with my mates who are playing it and keep on telling me, "You come and join us. It's really fun." I know it looks really fun, but I can't buy it. So um, yeah, I'm hoping I get a copy of Battlefield One for Christmas. Nice. Yeah, no, it's just kind of, again, I can't think past the Switch and I guess it's like um, trying to be wise and think, do I really need to add any other games on my kind of current platforms that I own if I'm going to be forking out for a new console? That's kind of like a belated Christmas gift for the family. So, yeah, I think uh, I might try and veer away from kind of gaming products, although there's obviously that NES Classic Mini or whatever it was called um, that's coming out. Oh, God, yeah, yeah. I forgot about that. So I'm tempted to get that now that I've heard that the actual ROMs of the games play better than they do on the Wii U. Because before I was kind of torn and I thought really I could probably pick and choose the NES games I'd actually want to play through, having not been an owner of that system you know, in the past, maybe not having the nostalgia for it that I think the, the kind of target demographic that Nintendo are chasing with, with that product. Um, but yeah, no, I guess that if that was to turn up, you know, nice dinky little wrapping under the tree, I, I would be delighted. I'll be, I'll be honest with you, uh, trying to pick your sort of Christmas you know, game that you want someone to get you is, is far more difficult in this year than it has been in previous years. There's always been that one big sort of, or a couple of big marquee titles that you go, oh yeah, I must have that and, and I hope someone gets it for me. But this year, because Titanfall and Battlefield and the sort of Call of Duties are out um, all around the same time, and it just, don't know, there doesn't seem to be that one big blockbuster that you, no. you, have to, you can nail your colours to the mast with this year i mean that might just be me being out of out of gaming for a little bit but you know it doesn't, no, doesn't seem to be no i know what you mean it's like last year was a particularly vintage year for video games yeah. and this year it doesn't it seem to be like last year you got like metal gear solid 5 and the witcher and, and and games like that and then this year doesn't appear to have been anything really quite on the same sort of level it was like the same old games that you get titanfall 2 was different because it had been a few years since the first one but we yeah. get you know and battlefields it's not very often you get one of those but yeah cod every single year and whatnot there, there hasn't been anything particularly massive and stand out this no, year like not. there was last year yes yeah, it's, it's strange it seems to have been spread out through the year a lot more this year by the by this yeah the releases mm. yeah the, the, like um like the two games that uh that i'm currently battling it out for first place in my game of the year <laughs> list without giving away what they are uh, both came out quite early on in the year um, so the back end's been a little bit dry to be honest yeah but there's already like there's always for me being you know one of the less active games on the team they release games far quicker <laughs> than I can play through them so it, it doesn't really necessarily yeah. matter if there's yeah. not been a kind of milestone game for me that's released in a particular calendar year because there's always just sort of dozens yeah. that have passed me by like um i think they were saying on Eurogamer that the wii u is going to like cease production like this week there's games on that platform that i still want yeah. you know that's even going back just that's only just become fast mm. gen um you know you think of the ps3 um there's still like dozens and dozens of games on there that i could pick up and you know because they'd be new for mm. me they'd be just as good as you know, it'd be just as fulfilling and it's as an experience for me as it would be to pick up, you know, one of these massive kind of calendar titles. It really has paid off this generation to be the guy who doesn't keep up with the conversation. Because mm. some of the backlogs that you're now being able to sort of get involved with, 
you're picking them up for games up for dirt cheap, but absolutely, but they're quality. They're all quality, quality games. They're, there's no kind of real massive duds. Even if you look at something like um like the Order eighteen eighty six and some something, if you pick that up for ten or twelve quid, you really don't feel shortchanged. It's you know, there's a lot in there. It may not be the yeah. greatest game, but it's a very good game by you know general standards. See, the problem I've got is that most of the games that I now want to play, the ones that I haven't included in my backlog, but I still want to play at some point, yeah. are on the Wii U, and they don't really drop in price. No. So I've got things like Wonderful 101, mm-hmm. and um, Captain Toad's Treasure Tracker, and uh, Pikmin 3. I, I picked up Pikmin 3, actually, um, during the recent selects. Yeah, I was going to say, we've been they for once, they've actually been good, haven't they? Yeah, like for once, they've actually genuinely yes. given people who are... I mean, the problem is, I guess, like for most people, especially with that, I mean, my Nintendo offers, a lot of people have already got everything that they get offered in there, so there's no, like, saving for them. Yeah. But if you look at it for somebody who maybe came to yeah. the Wii U a couple of years after it was been originally released, there are so many must-own, like, the best games in that that library that have been reduced now in the selects range. Uh, you know, because Nintendo notoriously are pretty mm. poor for that, but even Wonderful 101 has been on sale. You know, that, that might, it might not be currently, but... The prices, you know, digitally they've offered that um, at quite a good reduction. So I w- it wouldn't be surprised me if they did that again, like this Christmas. So uh, just a quick update on uh, our backlogathons for those of us who are, are taking part in that. Just a quick reminder: um, in an effort to try and clear our backlogs and, and play guilt-free without looking at the stack of games on our shelves that are unfinished, and also to try and save up some money for the Nintendo Switch fund. Um, we decided to not buy new games, although s- several of us have already broken <laughs> that already. <laughs> but on the whole... I feel like there's always a bedding-in period. Yeah, there is, yeah. I'm, I'm still feeling You've always in. got to have that first initial impulse infraction, and then you can like really mean business. Yeah. Um, but you know, I'm making progress. Um, looking at... Let me just look at the spreadsheet. So I've still... I, I had in total... Um, 44 games to complete and I finished three of them um, and there were three the three ones I completed were quite long so I'm doing alright Like I, I finished Assassin's Creed Syndicate I think I might have mentioned that on the last Laps News episode um, and I've also finished Mad Max and uh, Uncharted 4 as well uh, so uh, next up I think I'm going to play some, some of the, the shorter games I've got on the list like Gone Home and um, Life is Strange and things like that, try and get those ticked off. But um, yeah, three down, 41 to go. <laughs> <laughs> well, I suppose if we're doing confessionals, then I have a small confession as well, because during the Halloween um, Steam Sailor, I dropped £10 uh, on it and got, I don't know, probably maybe 11 or 12 games out of it. Yeah. Uh, so yeah wow (laughs) daft sales as always um so to as a little bit of um repentance for that i also then put a tenor into the switch fund and um i also noticed and lee has actually just reminded me in the show notes that i also dropped on uh never alone on the wii u as it was only two pounds 59 or thereabouts (laughs) um so yeah so those are my confessions of the things that i've bought um 
I haven't actually got much time to play through any of my Backlogathon games as yet, although last night, um, with it being Halloween, I did sit and play um, a couple of games, but I will talk about those later. Yeah, I've also uh, fallen and purchased a new game as well, but I'll talk about that when we get onto what we've been playing. Yeah, I haven't been as organised as you chaps, and I haven't really been on the Laps News episodes for a, a good while now, But um, so I haven't like, kind of organised my um, spreadsheet or something of my the kind of backlog. I'm just trying to focus on, yeah, the games that I own and not spend any money, but I couldn't resist the Never Alone um, mm-hmm. reduced price on the Wii U because... I think right way back when we did our predictions for the year, I said that I really hoped that Never Alone would come to the Vita, but sadly it got cancelled. So I'd kind of been waiting for it all year and then it got reduced on Wii U and it's like got a lovely snowy setting. So I thought, oh, I'm going to treat myself. It's like, you know, less than a pint of beer and I'll use that as my Christmas game. So I, I don't really... got a nice <laughs> local co-op as well, are not they? Oh, is it? Oh, yeah, okay. Which, which so, might interest you and the wife. Yeah, definitely. And me boy, because I, I take it you can play as the wolf then, is that right? You can do, yeah. And um, one of them takes the little girl. It is rating twelve, though, on it. Um, oh, okay. So I'm not sure if that would uh, suit I'll, the little. I'll play through um, it first. Yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. I think it's sort of mild terror and things like that. I think you're being chased by polar bears and what have you. I've played a little bit of it. Yeah, um, I like so to. Sure. I like to kind of like you know shake him up with a bit of mild terror, especially around Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is that parenting tips for me? Just to remember, like, in the future, just terrify your child every now and then. It's good for him. <laughs> <laughs> they put hair on their chest yeah. <laughs> okay so moving on to what we've been playing over the last few weeks uh chazzy as you're our guest you want to start us off yeah okay um quite a few games on the list obviously because i haven't been here for a very long while um first game is game you just spoke about just now uh Stu, which was tokyo mirage sessions oh what game <laughs> yeah um i'm a massive fan of persona 4 golden um mm-hmm have gone back to Persona 3 uh, you know basically got into the Persona games through Persona 4 and um, it, that is literally one of my top three games of all time so when I heard that there was a game that mashed that and Fire Emblem together which is the game I'm currently playing on the 3DS I just thought oh, I've, I've got to get involved in this this just makes makes me my sorry this makes me sort of light my brain light up and go absolutely crazy so uh, yeah i've been playing that and what a game it is um i can't really i don't really want to give too much away now because i know Stu wants to play it but, um, <laughs> no, go ahead i've been listening to mark talk about it anyway oh, and by the time i finally pick it up and get round to playing it i've forgotten everything anyway <laughs> <laughs> well what i will say is uh, i've been playing this sort of on the wii u downstairs uh, while sort of my wife's been uh, knocking about doing other things and um that is, it's confused the hell out of her because <laughs> it's only it's only it's while you're a gamer and you're you're into gaming, uh, you kind of sort of are aware of sort of Japanese tropes and imagery and kind of the way that Japanese have a very different cultural way of, of doing things. And mm. my wife obviously has none of these kind of cultural touch touchstones, so everything is just so weird and a little bit creepy to her. And yeah, I've spent most of my time playing that game just having to explain like, <laughs> oh no 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 no. She, she, she's at school so she can dress like that and it's, it's you know it's, it's not weird and freaky no no, no she you know that, that is appropriate and, and kind of those kind of things and yeah like idol culture this the whole game obviously is about becoming famous and being like you mm. know becoming an idol and stuff japanese idol and um yeah that that completely blew her mind that that was a thing in japan that you know these these girls would want to want to do that 
and that's a thing to aspire to. So no. yeah, yeah, it's been it's been more of a sort of a, a cultural uh, like a cultural awakening for my wife than it has been for me, like playing the game really. Like the game's been amazing, but yeah, doing doing that kind of thing's just been yeah, it's been a real eye opener. Yeah, so, yeah, I've only seen sort of um, like footage and, and sort of walkthroughs and it's just such a kind of colourful, vibrant world. And like you're saying, I guess mm. to an outsider, very Japanese because I've, I've never really very. got heavily into the JRPGs and it's something that I feel like I'm tempted to try, but I'm just so overwhelmed by it all. But I mean, I understand this is, um, and again, I it's don't know whether this is drawn from the Persona the influence or not, but it kind of changes, doesn't it? And you go into like another mm. realm, is it? And that's where you yeah, you go into you go into a spirit realm type thing, and then you're that's when you're into a dungeon, right? Yes. Uh, what I would yeah. say about this is this would be a great if you aren't it have never been into Persona games. It's a great place to start off because it's mm. kind of Persona like. Yep. Um, it, it dumbs down a lot of the mechanics and kind of speeds through a lot of the stuff that you might necessarily be grinding a little bit more in the kind of longer form Persona games. Like I know in Persona 4 there's a lot of stuff to do with like wandering around the, the village and chatting to people and getting to know them and building up social links and that kind of stuff. And you're not kind of doing that in this as far as I can tell so far. You're sort of building up um, a character that's sort of a spirit that runs alongside you that kind of thing so it's um yeah it's just a little bit more streamlined so it'd be a great it's a great jumping off point and, and if you kind of how, how many hours into this because I'm, I'm presuming this is a, a very long uh, uh, 30 <laughs> oh <seven>. god <laughs> yeah <laughs> something like that and i haven't really scratched the surface to be honest with you. i've just done a lot of sort of wandering around and, and grinding and stuff but yeah it's um yeah i've got got, got really into it and I, I absolutely adore it the only thing i would say as a down point on it is that uh, and it's not that much of a down point um, is that it's uh, got a fully Japanese voiced yeah that's it subtitles yeah yeah Yeah, and it's subtitled and that can be uh, sometimes a little bit jarring because you're just so used to games being voiced in for your country so uh, like localised and stuff so uh, there is a little bit of reading and stuff and like I say it's a lot of high pitched squeals which I have to explain to my wife (laughs) (laughs) see I I didn't find that too much of a problem because like with the exception of Studio Ghibli where they do a really good job getting good voice actors for um, western releases on the whole um, English voice acting in in Japanese films as uh, animated films and and anime is usually a bit meh Um, so I've appreciated the threat that that it's just in Japanese and the Japanese voice acting is really good the only problem I've got is that everything's subtitled Apart from when you're in the battles, mm. and then like the characters will be chatting to each other or calling things out, um, and that's not subtitled at all. No, uh, and that can be a little bit of a pain. Yeah, it can be. Um, the weird thing about it is, is like it, like like you say, it feels really, really close to Persona Four. Um, I can't speak to the other Persona games because yeah. Four's the only one I've played. Uh, but it's not really. It's not. Uh, well, it's not marketed as a sort of Persona game. It's a Shin Megami Tensei cross with Fire yeah. Emblem. Um, well, from what I understand, it's not very Shin Megami Tensei, no. and the Fire Emblem stuff that only comes in is like your persona are characters from former Fire Emblem games, and then every time your character levels up, it plays the little little medley that plays when a character levels up in Fire Emblem. That yeah. seems to be the only Fire Emblem crossover, yeah. and the Shin Megami Tensei stuff just feels not very Shin Megami Tensei and very, very Persona. Yeah, it feels very, very Persona 4. It's almost mm. as though they went, oh, okay, we'll just take Persona 4 and then jam a few little elements from... It, it, it's very weighted towards the Persona side of things rather than the Fire Emblem side of things, I've, yeah. I've found so far. So, uh, yeah, 
if, if you're a massive Fire Emblem fan, then I would imagine you'd be quite disappointed with this. Mm-hmm. You know, but possibly, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, d- I don't know how well it's sold, but I get the impression that I remember at the end of the Wii's life cycle, there was a couple of um, you know, big epic JRPGs that kind of came yeah. out and never really saw their day in the yeah. sun. And I, I don't the know two, whether this is going to happen. The Operation Reinfall trilogy, oh, well, yeah. The two the I wanted to pick, the two I wanted to pick up were Last Story and That's Xenoblade. It. And they came yeah. out to Wii U Virtual Console, I think, as a response to yeah. that, you know, yeah. that, that yeah. people had kind of missed out so I don't know whether we're going to have a similar thing that this is going to underperform because it came out so close to the end of the Wii U's live cycle um, or not I think it's from been... what I understand it's sold well in Japan mm. um, it's not they, they haven't it's quite hard to get over here yeah. um, it's not been marketed particularly massively and shops don't have like uh, online stores you can you can get it sometimes if they've got them in stock but I've yeah. never actually seen a physical copy in a shop uh, it's got like a very avid cult following um same as i guess the persona games did before before they blew up but um yeah it's not it's not massive in the west i know by long stretch no i had seen two physical copies of it in game the last time i was in but they were both listed as 50 quid rrp and because they're in game (laughs) otherwise i'd have been i'd have been tempted but not at 50 quid i've been tempted hmm Maybe they'd charge you £5 to play it for 10 minutes. <laughs> well, I don't know. If it was in 3D, you know, you might be tempted. Exactly. Oh, not 3D. I mean, like, in, if it was in VR. In VR, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so do you want me to tell you about my second game? Yeah. Cool. So my second game, um, it w- I came to this because um, I had a real hankering to play twin- a twin-stick shooter of some description. I've been playing a little bit of um, see, Assault Android Cactus. I picked it up for cheap, um, and I've and I've, I really enjoyed that. But there were, I wanted something with a bit more to it. So everyone I'd spoken to was saying, "No, no, play Binding of Isaac." Um, it's it's a twin stick shooter, and it's a roguelike. Um, so I'd started getting into that. Uh, sorry, this is a really long story, <laughs> but uh, I started playing that, and I was really enjoying this kind of like really discovering because there's a lot of sort of mechanics that you just have to discover like what what do these power-ups do and they're just given very um, cryptic names and you have to work out you know like you pick up i don't know uh, like a, a poison shot but it's called something else and you have to work out by using it that it's a poison shot and that kind of thing and um but the problem was is i was as much as i was enjoying the mechanic of the game i was really really grossed out by the art style and i just at, at a certain point just thought I, I can't keep playing this it's just and it like I said, I really enjoyed the game. I think it's brilliant, but I just I, I can't look at it. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I was I was trying desperately to find something online that would scratch that kind of itch, and I ended up falling on two games, which were Enter the Gungeon and Crypt of the Necrodancer. Um, Enter the Gungeon mainly uh, is exactly what I was looking for, to be honest with you. It is a twin stick shooter, very bullet hell. So the bullets come out in patterns, and you're having to dodge them from enemies that are bullets themselves it's very weird everything is a celebration of guns in this game so even the, the marquees on the floor are uh, revolver kind of um, chambers and uh, all your enemies are different types of bullets uh, that are shooting bullets at you from guns that they're holding so they're holding themselves it's very odd but um, there's lots of these kind of roguelike type mechanics once you've once you've died, that's it. You, everything you've collected throughout the game is gone. So um, that that is a really interesting 
uh, part of it. Another part of it is obviously like you get uh, rolls on what weapons turn up in the game randomly. So you could be walking along and you might have get the god weapon to run through the entire game with. Another run you might just get a pea shooter. It's absolutely random. And it's a bit like Spelunky in that way of yeah. you get shop shopkeepers and stuff and you can sort of buy things to try and get you through to the boss at the end of the level. Uh, but what's great about this game is that it has a uh, two mechanics which are the dodge roll, which makes you pretty much invincible. So if these bullets are coming towards you, you can leap over them. And then also there's tables always scattered around in the level which you can flip up and use as cover. So you can use these tables and push them around to funnel enemies away from you or just give you those vital split seconds you need to reload your gun. Um, which is done through uh, the Gears of War style active reloads. Mm. So, um, yeah, like, like I said, you're constantly in this game, you're always on the move, you're always moving, you're always trying to avoid these bullet patterns. And it can be a little bit overwhelming, but as you uh, get further and further into the game and as you get more and more um, powerful, it becomes easier and easier and easier. I've, I've really enjoyed it, and what I've really loved about it, and why I would probably say when you come back to saying would you recommend this for a lax gamer this is the game i would recommend because you can just play um it's short form gaming you can play half a level a level whatever it is and you can get so much fun and enjoyment out of just squeaking past uh, a, a room full of enemies um and then just feel like okay i've had my run maybe that was 15 minutes maybe it was an hour okay i'm putting the controller down i can walk away but you'll always get something out of it you'll always learn about a new weapon or I found out the other day that you can get a water pistol, shoot one of the sort of fireplaces in the level, and if you've discovered that, normally sometimes there's a button behind it, and you push that, and it opens up a secret part of the level, and this kind of thing. And there's always things to discover in the environment. It's uh, yeah, it's a really, really interesting game. This is a this year, like 2016 release, isn't it? Uh, I believe so. It might have been last year. Oh, okay. It's definitely one I've heard yeah, people talk very about, like, in a in a mm, kind of positive yeah. way, like making sort of you know people's memorable games they've played lists and things like that. Yeah, no, it's absolutely amazing. I've really, really enjoyed it. But then finding that, and obviously going on the search for these kind of roguelike um, shooters, I stumbled upon uh, Crypt of the Necrodancer, and this is it's a very similar game in as much as you're uh, going through isometric dungeons, but. The hook to this one is is it's a rhythm action game, so you can only move on the beat of the soundtrack that's going on, and you have and you can only move up, down, left, or right. You can't move in diagonals. So what you're trying to do essentially is move through the dungeon in a puzzle format because all you all the enemies are moving to the beat as well in their own separate patterns. Yeah, I've se- I've uh, seen like somebody playing this. This looks really interesting, like really intriguing how they've done yeah, it. Yeah, so not only are you having to move, but you're having to move on time and in the right pattern to get to the boss so they don't uh, get to the enemy so they don't attack you. And again, you can go through and and you'll you'll find little secrets and hidden areas and you know uh, a more powerful sword to attack people with and this kind of thing but i can't recommend it highly enough it, it, i i stumbled upon it and i've, I've paid no more than about five ten pound for it in, in on steam and it's just so much fun and the soundtrack is incredible like every game you and things speed up and you, you get areas where you can um step on a block on the floor and that will speed up the time of the music so then you can attack quicker but then obviously the enemies speed up with you so it makes it more more daunting but you're more powerful and yeah some of the some of the mechanics in that are really 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 interesting and 
yeah, I think you can get it on iOS at the moment as well. Is, yeah, this is they, I think it's, it's on it's PS4. On, um, pretty much everything. Yeah, I, it was, yeah. Yeah. I think it's on PS4. It's on Vita. It's on iOS. I'm pretty sure it's on Android and it's on Steam as well. Yeah, uh, it's one of those games that's sort of filtering out into all the platforms. That's it. Yeah, but yeah, mm. no, it's brilliant, brilliant little indie game, and I would recommend it to anyone. It's absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's one I, I definitely wanted to check out because I like a good rhythm action game, and that looks like a really interesting twist on it yeah, as well. Enter um, the Gungeon. I, I'm, a, I'm a sucker like you for a twin stick shooter as well. So Enter the Gungeon's one that's that's on my radar. I also wanted to check out um, Nuclear Throne, yes. the Vlambeer twin stick shooter, because that, that looks suitably insane. Um, <laughs> so I'll add those onto the onto the list for when I've cleared my backlog. That's it. <laughs> Just don't spend any money on them yet. You get <laughs> no, sh- no, you get no, I won't. <laughs> <laughs> and then the last game that I've been playing um, is I've gone back to Destiny. Hey! I do, I, yeah, exactly. I dropped out <laughs> of Destiny after the second expansion, which I can't remember what that's called. Um, oh, something about House, House of, Wolves. of Wolves. So yeah. I played House of Wolves, was a little bit disappointed, went through the raid. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I've done the first two raids, so it might... Yes, that's how I went. Did the first two raids and then just went, I'm out. Can't do this anymore. Uh, yeah. Left it, left it, left it, and then bought the uh, Destiny collection and mm. have been getting back into it. And I've just been having an absolute blast going back and then just trying to get as many exotic we- weapons and things that I can and just build my character up because it's been so long that th- that game has completely changed. Yeah, Again, yeah. Slightly. I had exactly the same thing. Like it, the Destiny community seems to there's like a die-hard like core that will stick mm. with it no matter what. But the vast majority of the community kind of go like that in ebbs and flows. So like, yeah, there was like the, the launch game came out, and then the first expansion, the second expansion, were all within like a reasonably short space of time, and then most people just dropped off it completely. Yeah, the problem is and there then, was too much time between the first and second, and I was one of those diehards. Yeah. I was the the Destiny Sherpa, you know taking people yeah. through the raid and stuff and then yeah it, there was just too much time between dlcs and then i just went all right okay i'm, I'm off and away to something else yeah uh, but it worked in their favor because like they they took a long time off after house of wolves before they brought out the taken king and then changed up like everything um and then like even taken king had a few little faults and then they brought out uh, another update uh, spring this year like a free update that changed uh, around a few things and brought back some of the elements from uh, the house of wolves dlc yeah. and brought that up to the year two standard and they like the the change that that game has under, undergone over the course of like the last uh, had, year or so is yeah. fantastic but it's had three big revisions it's had the initial launch it's had the kind of disappointing middle phase and then mm-hmm. it's had a third kind of renaissance towards the end of its life like now it's yeah. it's really coming to its own and i'm thoroughly enjoying it i'm thoroughly enjoying it mm. I'm, I'm desperate to do the the other raids but what i'm finding is even with the kind of um online help of finding groups i'm finding it very difficult to find people to help me um get through things like the nightfall and the raids and ah uh, yeah yeah the, the night i mean like even um me well this thing is like i had like a regular bunch of people that we played with there was like there's about eight or nine of us in total so yeah. we had like a raid group every single week and we ran through kingsfall which was the raid in uh, taken king every single week um some people have had to fall off because they've got you know one of the guys has gone back to college and the other guys you know got family commitments and whatnot and yeah we found it a little bit difficult to get back into. That's the only like the nightfalls and stuff aren't too hard because you only need three people. Although yeah, exactly. they are, they can be brutally difficult. But getting six people together 
and being able to commit to spend several hours getting used to the mechanics in a new raid yeah. and even when you got used to the mechanics like it can still like even when we got um the last raid down to a team we knew all the mechanics we knew everybody's role it would still take at least an hour and a half of, with six of us to yeah. clear that raid no exactly it's, it's one of those things where it's I, that game is perfect for again for laps gamers where you can you can just jump into it and knock out a few quests and yeah. Put put a controller down and just do that. That's all I've been really doing is like sort of right. Okay, I'm gonna knock out this this quest or this bounty or whatever, and then slowly but surely I'm building up my character and I'm building up my points. But the problem is, is that end section that's so amazing, which is the raids. Mm-hmm. Like you say, it takes so much organisation that it's just so far out of reach of someone like me who's got limited time nowadays, and it's, yeah. it's such a shame. But hey ho, I just have to, I've just had to resign myself to the fact that maybe I'm not going to get to that, and maybe like hopefully Destiny Two has a better system and uh, has some form of matchmaking or something. Or yeah, well there there are ways around it. Like one of the guys in our group, uh, despite the fact that we have been able to get together, he's been able to run through the raid twice um, using some of the online resources yeah. that people have got, like Destiny LFG, and there's uh, another website I can't remember the name of it that's really really good for like teaming up with people. Mm. And sometimes that can be really good. Sometimes you'll be stuck with a with a, a rubbish group or a group where one person isn't really taking it seriously and holds you back. But um, we are going to get to the point where we're raid ready, and when we are, I'll I'll send you a message and let oh, you know. <laughs> very much, I'll be very much up for that. So thank you very much. Yeah, but so that's it for me. That that was my last game. So um, anyone else? Well, uh, which of those would you recommend? Which would you would you pick for a lapsed game? Oh, for me, Enter the Gungeon all day long. I think yeah, yeah um, and definitely into the dungeon, and then probably second on that list would be Crypt of the Necro Dancer because hmm. it's, there aren't even controls on the um, on the joystick. You can you can literally do it on up, down, left, right keys on your yeah. keyboard. It's just so simple. The control scheme is unbelievable. So yeah, they're the two that I would definitely recommend to a lapsed gamer. Nice. Uh, Lee, what have you been playing? So off the back of the Sonic the Hedgehog trilogy episode that we did uh, back in <laughs> September. They actually just serendipitously had a, I think they had like a sale or a reduction on all of those M2. Is it M2 the developer that's done all like the 3D um, like versions for the 3DS of loads of kind of old classic Sega games? So I already had a couple anyhow, but because they had kind of like put them all at a reduced rate, I picked up, um, I think I picked up both Streets of Rage games, the, is it Fantasy Zone and like Super Hang On, but I went back to the original Streets of Rage, um, being like back at the time that I played that originally, because kind of like getting into games, the side-scrolling beat-em-up was like God to me, you know, Double Dragon was like the first love, <laughs> so that could, that could kind of like never be surpassed, but I can remember you know, being in awe really when you had things like Final Fight on the SNES, you know, we're going, what, early 90s I guess, and then, you know, kind of Sega I guess, you know, kind of coming back to the fore and trying to, you know, invent their own. So I guess Streets of Rage kind of was a rival to Final Fight in the kind of home console space, you know, Streets of Rage obviously never being an original coin-up. But no, that was just amazing, it just blew my mind, like if I could go back in time and tell you know, the young self that I'd be able to play Streets of Rage on a handheld and it would cost me like less than a fiver. <laughs> you know, it's just <laughs> insane. So yeah, I had a lot of fun with that. Um, it suits my style of play because it's obviously really short. You can complete it in one sitting. Although I did have to use the save state um, 
additional functionality this time because I've completely forgotten how to beat some of the bosses. You know, like you have to learn um, their kind of like movement pattern, and then as you get towards like the, the kind of back end of Streets of Rage, they recycle the bosses. Um, and there's like these two twin. I don't know if like if you can remember those who played it. There's like these two twin sisters, and they kind of jump attack you, and I just could not remember how you were meant to kind of combat that so I ended up having to use up loads and loads of lives but thankfully you know it didn't cost me real life money like it used to back in the arcades <laughs> uh, but no that, that was great fun have you any of you guys played any of these um, M2 kind of 3D ports of the, the Genesis classics sadly not no, not, having a, not, yeah, no. not having a 3DS they do look fantastic and would be very tempting if I did have one so it's possibly best that I do <laughs> I remember playing obviously an awful lot of the Mega Drive games won't have you back in the day um, on the original console and things like that so it's really nice to see that they are being made available and in a slightly different format and the originals are in the way that they're actually being tweaked and um, made into 3D um, is quite a novel way of actually selling them to a younger generation of such yeah and it, it does work really well i mean of course there's still the original game but um the subtle like there's an option you can have pop out 3d or kind of use it for depth and um you know originally you might think on paper what on earth does why does that need 3d streets of rage but it is actually really quite pleasing like to, up to the eye and i like the way that they do just kind of tweak them slightly more than just dumping the rom on there in that you can have like the old style CTR curved screen. Um, you can kind of manipulate other game functionality depending on which one of these kind of secret ports that you, that you play. Um, but yeah, it's just it, I think they just show like a level of care and a bit more of effort, so you, you don't kind of like begrudge buying them again. Because I mean, I know all of these games have come out um, in various kind of collections across all the, the platforms. But for my money, having played them on various consoles now, I do think the 3D ports on the 3DS. Uh, are, are like the ideal place to go. Um, other ones that I've picked, that, like Goth 2, um, I know that some of these have been, I think, probably talked about by other people on the past episode, so I won't spend too much time on them, but I did finally get round to Counter Spy, which I actually think, Chazzy, was you even on the playlist episode for that game? Oh, I can't remember. I remember. <laughs> I, I I know exactly where I was when I played it because I was I was in. It was exactly a year ago. I was in well September last year, uh, and I was playing it on a flight to Malta, uh, in in which the holiday in which my son was conceived. So uh, have, have that as a mental image. Congratulations. <laughs> so, it's, so it's obviously becoming you know a very important game for you. But no, I I exactly. missed I missed out. I, I mean, I picked it up, I played it, and then I missed out on the the recording for whatever reason. But um really pleased I went back to it this is obviously the kind of the side scrolling kind of stealth game that is on Vita and um, PS3 and I mean they're the formats I played it on and it's I was just I'm so impressed by it I mean because I'm not particularly into stealth or shooters but this is just really playable like the, the it's just so yeah. slick and so smooth and then of course mm. you get that veneer of the whole kind of um, Cold War like alternative history um, yeah. kind of Incredibles aesthetic where you and almost like a sort of I don't know a John Barry-esque score a bit kind of like Bond uh, you have to kind of play both sides off against one another so and again not very long so I really would you know say to people if they for whatever reason they haven't got to the Dynamites game to you know go back because it's, it's really really yeah. rewarding you know to go back and play through and how it kind of it gets harder the more mistakes you make so if that yeah, makes see, I sense. love that I love that mechanic in it that, that yeah yeah it, it penalizes you in that way I, I thought that was brilliant 
just a lovely little twist on on the, on that type of gameplay because it'd be too easy to just let you checkpoint your way through it, but they don't let you, you know. <laughs> but uh, another game that's very similar to that that I love is Shadow Complex as well, and this seemed always seemed oh, to me yeah. to be a, a much dumbed down version of Shadow Complex, but like you say, with those kind of interesting, slightly more interesting ideas like you say with the kind of penalisation and stuff and, and that lovely aesthetic and that kind of sort of old bond technology kind of thing yeah I thought it was great yeah like you said it's kind of teases you about the aesthetics they're yeah. not they're not um, it doesn't feel like a slog like I can remember trying to play Metal Gear Solid like back on the I guess it what, when, what was the console it came out number one on was that PS1 PS1 yeah, uh, and, uh, yeah. and that was just like so difficult like even back then I found it such a rigid um, sort of gameplay mechanic to get used to whereas this I, I, it's just so much more welcoming of course it's it's like not as refined or uh, as polished I guess as what I've, and it doesn't deliver an authentic stealth experience but it's just enough for you know more of a kind of casual player like myself to at least have a taste of that kind of um, approach to games but being presented in a much more kind of forgiving uh, context yeah. Mark did you play this one? Yeah, I haven't played quite as much as you guys, um, but what I played, I really, really enjoyed. I, w one thing I'd mention when you're talking about the aesthetic is that it gave me a real Archer vibe as yes. well. Yes, yeah. Right, yeah. But yeah, it's it's a dead good game. It's it's um, it, it's not quite stealthy enough for my taste because um, there are moments where you can... Like, I like a stealth game where you can stealth your way through the whole thing and there are moments in that game where that's just impossible and you kind of have to... Have to do a little bit of shooting, I, I'm, or just run unless, through it. I mean, I, when the um, the, top, yeah, the counter goes down because it's going to launch the nuke, especially towards yeah. the end, like on the final level, that literally is just a, I sod it. I've just got to run. Like, I'm not even killing go, people go, at this go. stage. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm just running past to get to that button. <laughs> yeah, and it's it's another great um, cross-play game as well. So you can uh, you can play it across two platforms and just carry the saves across as well. Yeah, was it? Yeah, I, I, dead good. I don't know if it was Chaz you mentioned it or not, but they've got a different. There's something slightly different, isn't there? Depending on what format you play it on, because on one of them, I think it's the PS3. It's almost got a old filmic, almost like um, noise over the image. Yeah, like film yeah. grain. Yeah, that's thing. it. Because mm, it's yeah. not on. I don't. I think it's on the PS3 it does that, but not on the Vita, or it might be the other way around. I'm getting confused, but I, I, that was an interesting little thing that's different. I'd imagine it's probably on the bigger consoles, because I think that's a, that takes a lot of more processing. Yeah. I didn't know whether they put it on the Vita to kind of hide some of the more jagged edges of the, jagged edges no, of the pixels. It, it's, it's, an, it's an effect to make it look more filmic. Uh, Mass, the original Mass Effect did that. You could turn it on and off as yeah. well. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, that's another game that I've uh, left unfinished, but anyway. <laughs> oh, that's a tragedy and you must change that. <laughs> so a another one that I managed to complete um, more recently now, so sort of only going back a few weeks, was Actual Sunlight. Now, you've talked about this, haven't you, already, Stuart, is that right? No, um, I think I briefly... No, I don't even think I had mentioned it um, on the last new show that I was on. Oh, um, I think I would mentioned it on Twitter that I had finished it and what have you, or I had been planning to play it um, due to the fact that it was on PS Plus this or in October. Exactly, um, yeah. Whereas I've, I've had it on the PC for a little while but never played it. Well, what um, I'll do is I'll, I'll wait then. Like I'll say a few more words about it maybe when you bring out then in, in what you've been yeah, playing okay. and just sort of focus on my last one, which is um, yep. Super Mario 3D World, which again, I know uh, Mark and Kev have been playing through this as well. So I picked this when I got the Wii U because I was a little bit late to that, that this was the game that I picked up with it. 
and I played through, you know, probably about two thirds. And then, like anything, when it's you got a bit of new hardware, you end up buying multiple games. So I ended up getting distracted from it. And it was only kind of in the last couple of months that I said to my wife that, you know, I've seen her and my son play through it together and complete it, like to the end credits. But I said, oh no, we should play through the whole thing, start to finish in co-op and try and 100% it. Because like most Mario games, there's like that a whole kind of post-credit game where you get loads of kind of bonus mm. worlds, which is really kind of like the meat of the package so I've been having a tremendous fun just going through and collecting you know all the green stars all the stamps getting all the gold flags um, so that you get to you know past the I think it's the initial eight worlds and you beat Bowser and then you get um, four additional worlds and it's just phenomenal I mean I think it's taken me maybe to have the break um, from when I first picked it up and to come back to it now to really appreciate it for what it is because I remember at the time all I kept hearing was people say oh it's it's not what I wanted it's not Mario Galaxy 3 it's too much like um, 3D Land on the 3DS mm. and uh, and it's kind of like that halfway house between like a 2D Mario game and, and a 3D one whereas people you know they really kind of are still very much in anticipation of Galaxy 3 but I think it's right up there with Galaxy for me as like my favourite Mario platformer I just think it's so eminently playable it's that they've the way they've designed the levels and they introduce you to the different mechanics and the kind of learning curve of the challenge is so perfectly pitched so it's, it's always fun like I've never in even in the harder levels when you're you know you're playing it properly where you're trying to collect everything um, and, it's, and it's a challenge it's never like kind of that infuriating thing I actually think it's probably one of the best games on the whole console for me hmm um, I just a, a quick plug for a YouTube channel I, I really like uh, called uh, I, I can't remember the, the actual channel name but if you search for Game Makers Toolkit on YouTube uh, it'll bring up a channel uh, by a guy who like goes in depth into to game mechanics and conventions and things like that and he did an entire episode on Super Mario 3D World's um, four step level design yeah it's really good isn't um, it his breakdown of how yeah. he talks about their, their kind of philosophy of what they were trying to do yeah, it's like something that that that's been in most Mario games, but but, but this particular uh, philosophy was introduced in um, Mario Galaxy, and then iterated on in Mario Galaxy Two, and then 3D Land, and then kind of perfected in 3D World. Like uh, each level sort of introduces a mechanic, and uh, in a safe space, and then you have to work using that mechanic uh, in slightly more precarious situations where there's a, more of a risk of death and then it'll take that uh, mechanic and flip it on its head and then the, then it comes to like a natural conclusion right at the end of the level and every single one does that like there's every single level introduces some some gameplay I don't want to say gimmick but like a some mechanic um, but then doesn't repeat itself in, in in further levels. So like there's there's so many like really clever things that their game does, but none of them outstay their welcome. They're only really there for one level, um, and the variety of, of the mechanics uh, across the game is absolutely fantastic. Yeah, it um, is endlessly innovative. I mean, I think towards yeah. the back end they do recycle game environments and some of the mechanics, but it's kind of like up in the ante massively. Mm -hmm. And what's just incredible yeah. to me is that I was watching my wife and son play and of course they give you ultimate kind of lives so you're not penalised even if you die all the time and they also give you that white um, tanuki suit power up that essentially mm. makes you invincible which allows my son you know of like five years of age to play it from start to finish and feel like he's achieved something which is just incredible um, 
but I was kind of like watching the later levels that they, when they were playing it without having got to that stage myself and thinking this is impossible like I don't know how I'm ever going to be good enough to, to finish this whereas you know just by going through it methodically and playing it you are able to do that you know, every time they raise mm. the bar and you think it's just you've hit a brick wall you're suddenly able to overcome it and I think that's because it's got such a perfectly pitched but learning curve. I mean, I'm on the yeah. final, final bonus level world now, which is called World Crown. And it is, you know, that is the part where you're just like being separated like the men from the boys. I really take my hat off to anyone who has actually 100%ed this because the Champions Road, kind of like the, the final world itself is re- is only got a... Um, sort of uh you know like those mystery house houses on the different worlds where you have to go and do like a series of challenges in quick succession to get all the, the kind of green stars yeah. there's one of them yeah. for 30 green stars and then there's one main wow. level there's none of these other kind of like eight separate levels there's just one long one called champions row and it's just so difficult so that's kind of like where i'm at now i've like 99 percent <laughs> completed it but it's just been so rewarding like one of the best kind of family game experiences i've had on the Wii U and kind of justifies the purchase of the console on its own I think and I just that that's I don't feel like that had been said enough um, in the kind of circles I'd been hearing about the game no. it had kind of just been sort of too much criticised and taken to the side and mocked for what it wasn't you know the fact that it wasn't a Galaxy game whereas uh, I mean, it's, it's testament it's testament to the uh, game design that they can take just a small part of that and then turn it into an entirely full game because basically uh, Captain Toad Treasure Tracker was the mini games of exactly. Adventures of Captain Toad. And you can just and then that game is absolutely incredible as well. It is, yeah, they and they did it as a little um a retrospective se- uh, prequel, isn't it? Because obviously yeah. 3D World come out first and then you're right the popularity of the kind of the Captain Toad levels uh, they then have extended into the game but they love the way yeah. that that game dovetails in so you could all if you hadn't played either you could probably you know you could play Captain Toad Tracker first yeah and then go straight into 3D That's World uh, but yeah, no they're two like both of those games actually are finished this year Captain Toad Treasure Tracker earlier in the year and uh, they'll be way like right at the top of like kind of my fave games played this year so yeah th- definitely Fantastic. stick at it Mark and Kev if you're listening just a <laughs> phenomenal game it really is oh I will stick with it I've got to take it off my off my backlog <laughs> and Stuart needs it for Christmas <laughs> yes yes <laughs> Um, I've got a couple of others that I've played, but I think I've probably said enough, and I'll save them because they, they're the one. The ones I've mentioned are the ones that I've actually completed. Hmm. So, which one of those would be your your main pick for a laps gamer? Uh, guys, it's, I, I would say I think Counter Spy is very suited to that because it's on a handheld as well, and I think that yeah. um, as a laps gamer, I think having the, ha- the handheld. And you know the ability to kind of playing that in short bursts is really really accessible for me. But I can't really look past Super Mario 3D World. I think if anyone has ever played, you know, Mario 64 or um, they've played a bit of Galaxy, and for some reason they haven't finished the Mario game yet, I think this would be like, oh, they're not sure they like Mario games. This would definitely be the perfect one to start. And if you are a seasoned Mario fan, I really think that this is phenomenal and it really is up there up with, the, with Galaxy. Uh, Stuart, what have you been playing? I have been playing games. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I'll mine are sort of fairly quick ones that I'll quickly run through. Um, so the first one that I've been playing is Rusty Lake Roots. This is a um, recent release from the Rusty Lake um, developers. They are probably more well known for their free um, Cube Escape games on um, Android and iOS, which are they're basically the premise of the games are they are very simple um, sort of point and click puzzle games. Um, in that you're given a scene and um, you have to try and find out which items interact with which. You have to find keys and things maybe hidden behind pictures to unlock drawers, um, which will then give you another item to solve another little bit of the puzzle as you go along. There are, I believe, I finished maybe seven or eight of the um, the Cube Escape games, and um, I think it was a couple of months ago that I... Um, possibly even longer than that that I talked about them on the show. Um, they're all definitely worth finding. The very interesting thing about the Rusty Lake games is that they aren't necessarily narratively joined, but they have a certain mythos um, and their own world and lore um, sort of running in behind each of the games. There's sort of little snippets of what is potentially a bigger story developing um, and you get little bits and pieces of that um, as you play through um, the games you know there's certain shadows of um, possibly an evil spirit or something um, that appears in the games um, that you sort of get little glimpses of every now and again whether or not you're being chased by or maybe being influenced by that spirit um, will depend on the game. Rusty Lake Roots, as I say, is the most recent release. Um, it's out on PC, iOS, and Android, and it follows the story of a family tree. Um, so you start off with the father and his children, and there the father dies, and the children then sort of you see them growing up, and you solve sort of little puzzles um, at certain points in their lives, and then they go on to have children, and the main um, sort of crux of it and the fact that it's called Roots is that it is a family tree so you are um, as you play through it this tree grows and um, you go on and sort of solve little bits and pieces it's sort of hard to describe but each of those little scenes and there's 33 of them in the game um, is again a little sort of um, object and puzzle game It's they're very very good and very clever it's not always clear what you're supposed to be doing and sometimes it takes to use a little hint and thankfully Rusty Lake um, actually have the sort of walkthroughs and what have you up on their website should you need them. Um, very enjoyable and yeah it's hard to know where they're going with the story. Um, this one is a paid one, I think it was what, $1.99 um, or thereabouts um, on Steam and um, the mobile applications as well. Um, but if you're interested in sort of quick puzzle games, certainly look out for the Cube Escape games. And uh, they're well worth playing through, um, especially because they're free. The other game that I've been playing then, um, as we mentioned whenever Lee was chatting there, just about actual sunlight. Um, it was free on um, PS Plus on the Vita um, through October. And I, it has been out on PC for a good wee while. And came to Steam, um, I think, not long after release. It's hard to know what to say about actual sunlight. You play through the story of Evan Winter, who is a a very sort of white-collar worker who doesn't have an awful lot going on in his life. And 
the next day is always the day that Evan will change his life or do something that will change his life. Play maybe isn't the right word for actual sunlight because in reality you are progressing through Evan's linear story and it's important to remember that you are not playing as Evan. You are progressing his story and for most of it he is telling you about his life and about what's going on. Um, You start off in his apartment and you get to interact with um, certain items and things within the apartment and you'll get little sort of snippets of story or um, little bits of feelings um, about how he feels about um, his life or what that object maybe means to his life and occasionally he will go off on I want to say little sort of works of fiction but sometimes it feels as if he is retelling in his own words um, previous encounters with um, either people or um, his counsellor or psychologist uh, or psychiatrist um, because Evans suffers from extreme depression and in playing this game you experience that with him um, sort of more from an empathetic or a little bit of sympathy um, for Evan even though you can see that he is clearly slightly self-destructive because of this it is a short game but it's hard to get through on occasion because depending on how your own personal life is you will see some aspects of his life mirroring your own and within that it's jarring but also interesting because you do feel that empathy for him and so whenever you make certain decisions um, as part of the storyline and you do feel a lot more connected to him um, but yeah um no, you've done, well a good, worth you've done a good job of uh, describing it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It is hard, the isn't other, it? <laughs> it is, yeah. The other thing to point out is that you, um, throughout the sort of the, as the story progresses, you do meet other non-playable characters and what have you, and people within Evan's life. And it's amazing how short those interactions are, but seemingly how well written they are, because they do feel like real interactions with people. And um, the game itself was written and developed by um, a guy called Will O'Neill, um, who I think has went on to work on um, others, uh, different projects and things like that in other games. And um, I think has worked on previous ones before that. So this is his almost sort of standalone game. This is, you know, purely his. And yeah, just really interesting and just hard to talk about yeah um, it's just what it's were, like what an were interesting yeah you know, i think it's an interesting kind of experiment that he's chosen this medium to kind of tell that story because ultimately it's so uh text-based it could it could literally have been like a short memoir or a short story um but he's, yeah. he's put it to life i guess through the medium of a game and i think that he's done that to use that as like the conduit of you know expressing those that insight to you as the player so you mm-hmm. do get it's, it's about kind of like allowing you a glimpse into a particular mindset um so I, I guess maybe to raise awareness you know like of mental health or to take yeah. away some of the kind of stigma of it if you can understand it through the the lens of the person who's suffering i mean i i thought that it's interesting how 
the kind of gameplay aspects are almost like if people have played Pokemon, which is you know a franchise I'm not, I haven't played them, but I'm obviously familiar with how they work. And it's kind of like that top-down view, and you're like this little sprite walking around. So that's kind of like Pokemon. But then, like Stuart said, you you can choose his belongings or possessions to click on, and then that's how you get fed a bit more of the story. So like he's got a game console, so if you click on that, you know it'll give you. Um, kind of like some text about his attitudes towards his gaming or if you mm-hmm. click on um, you know he's got some possessions that he almost kind of like there's like anger they've become sort of like tokens of like anger or the triggers so it's that I think he bought something and he never uses it and I think he says mm-hmm. now it kind of like just stares at him and mocks him but there's just you know lots of other sort of interesting aspects of you know, and he goes to a shop. In, I think he goes to either do his cleaning or something, or buy something from a shop. And he talks to a homeless man. And you also get his tube rides to work. And you have to mm-hmm. kind of like talk about where you're going to sit. And yeah, there's just like loads of kind of social observation that I don't think the whole thing is like a success. But I definitely think it is one of these kind of little curiosities that people should at least give some time to because it only takes about like an hour to two hours to complete. And it's mm-hmm. just kind of an interesting what like. Um, Chazzy was saying about you know his podcast where he's getting people to talk about games that might not be like completely polished diamonds but somehow they leave a mark um i don't know whether i'm exaggerating to say this game and leave its mark but i think it's kind of like a one-off singular experience that i've never had before so even though like the game's nowhere near like a 10 out of 10 and it's hard to even push the classification of game to be applied to it it's it it made me think after I put you know the Vita down a long a lot longer than I than a lot of games that could be like 10 20 hours in length so mm. at least for that I think you know it's it's worth trying to experience yeah it one similar game that I can think of um is depression quest um which is a free to play um sort of html based it's on steam and what have you as well i'm i'm pretty sure that's probably available online somewhere as well it's again you go through somebody's life and sort of make decisions about what you're going to do or um things how things how you let things affect your life and in depression quest depending on what you choose your options for the next thing that happens might be more limited because you're not feeling as great about life um, so therefore you might only have the option of no I'm just going to stay in and not do anything today or I'm not going to interact or if you're maybe feeling a little bit better then you have the option of going out and you know trying to actually interact with people they are very good games as starting a conversation um, for people about mental health and I think in that respect they are both Actual Sunlight and Depression Quest and I'm sure there's probably a couple of other ones are very important um, for people to play or try because it might sort of lead them down in, to realise something about themselves um, if they are in a certain situation or um, something like that. Yeah, for I, myself, I guess we should stress that also that you know they're not going to be just by their very nature they're obviously very mature and adult in theme and they're not yes. going to be suitable for you know young individuals or you know your children but equally I, I can understand why this might actually not be the sort of experience that somebody would be looking for if they've got very limited game time although this is we're saying this is short but like it depends I guess how you approach the hobby and what you uh, play games for you know if mm-hmm. 
I'm not sure this is necessarily going to be something that everyone will kind of like want to put on with their precious little time that they've got <laughs> to play games to escape. So just, just be aware, because I mean, the, the ending of Actual Sunlight could not be bleaker. No, um, it really couldn't. And um, for somebody who suffers from depression, it would definitely be... Handle with care. It's a yeah. tough play. <laughs> yeah. I, I had a very similar situation with the original Walking Dead um, adventure series. Um, mm. I got to a stage where that was so bleak and so oppressive, I had to put it down because it was affecting me in ways in my head that I just couldn't deal with anymore. And I just mm. had to I had to walk away from it because it was just getting me down to play it. And it, I, I was enjoying it, but also perversely, it was just messing with my mind and, and making me think about aspects of my life that I just didn't want to deal with mm-hmm. at the time. So uh, yeah, I can I can completely understand that with this game like if if it's suddenly shining a mirror on something that you might necessarily see in your life then uh, yeah. I can see it I see it being a real toughie. Mm-hmm. Um I think I'll draw a line under it there. If you <laughs> if you have it on if you have it on PS Plus and you have a Vita then I think it, you should take your time to experience it. Um, even if you're not necessarily in... Games aren't always fun, <laughs> I think it's fair <laughs> to say. And in some respects, if games are ever going to be considered art, it's games like this that will push them down that road. You know, it, it won't be the sort of light and fluffy and fun yeah, games like start, Mario games. Stuff like Virginia and, and Firewatch. You know, yep. those kind of games as well will will push that in that direction. Yeah, and it's because those games exist that we get to have these um, topics to actually just discuss and things like that. And I am absolutely all for these games existing and different developers and things actually pushing these games and actually making them. Because without them, there's an awful lot of people wouldn't necessarily have that um, sort of a talking point. Um, as such one of the uh, many many years ago I think I was in um, Glasgow or Edinburgh and I was in like a um, like a computer um, retrospective museum and I was playing a and there was a couple of little demos and things like that and one of the games was called Passage and I have never experienced such emotion playing such a very simple pixelated game um, it was also very linear, but it was. It took no more than maybe two or three minutes to actually play through it. But the ending was heartbreaking. Um, so I would advise, or you know, please go out and have a go at Passage again. It's another freebie that's on the internet. Um, I find it staggering, almost, mm. um, just because of the. The way it played out, and uh, it's well worth sort of tracking down. I'm guessing an awful lot of people won't have that emotional response to it, and I always find stuff like this really hard to talk about. Well, no, I mean, that's what I'm saying. Just from the it's all about subjectivity, and I think anything that's pushing the kind of diversity of games uh, can only strengthen, you know, the medium yeah. as a whole. So, this is certainly a, a welcome other. You know, facet of the hobby that that is there for people to experience if they so choose. Yeah. Hmm. The other games that I've been playing, 
Or House of the Dead 2 and 3 and Overkill. <laughs> the light gun extravaganza. <laughs> yes, um, as a complete counterpoint to actual sunlight and other games of that ilk, I have been just shooting zombies on screen and monsters and um, swearing quite a lot at the TV because they are still rock hard games um, despite being um, arcade games. Um, so obviously with it being Halloween last night and wanting to work through some of the games on my backlogathon, I... Uh, sat down and played House of the Dead 2 and 3 Return on the way, and also House of the Dead Overkill on the way. Um, House of the Dead 2 and 3 are basically um, straight ports of the arcade machines, um, built um, for the Wii and the Wii sort of the light gun controller um, of the Wii, which is usually just like a casing that you put the Wii mode into, and uh, basically shooting everything on screen. They are, it still is a brutally hard game. And especially the fact that even on the way, and the fact that you can't just keep pumping pound coins into it, there are a set number of continues um, that you actually have. And if you do sort of progress through the game, the options open up that you can actually increase your credits and possibly um, increase your continues. And there are other little um, sort of little tidbits here and there that you get to add. Um, for example, if you play through the original mode, you get um, there's a couple of other options of adding extra credits or starting off with. Um, different civilian outfits and things like that. Um, the storylines are daft. They're in and around sort of Resident Evil. You know, some madman has developed some sort of um, disease or virus or something or whatever to try and prolong somebody's life, but it's obviously gotten completely out of hand and has started mutating um, either people or creating different creatures and things like that. Um, it's yeah, they're good fun and um, just silly. House of the Dead 3 is um, another one. The graphics are obviously slightly better on this. Um, obviously all made by Sega and what have you. And the, um, so this time you're sort of storming a lab and again it's another madman who's trying to prolong the life of his son um, through a virus and what have you and everything's just got completely messed up. And yeah, just daft fun shooting things on screen. Can't complain about it. House of the Dead Overkill was almost like a reboot um, of the franchise and surprisingly it was originally, I'm not even sure it was an arcade game, it was definitely released. No, it was a released. Wii exclusive. No. Yeah. It was Wii exclusive. And then it yeah, came it was, eventually to... It, it, it was developed as a kind of grindhouse that's it. version of House of the Dead, basically. House of the Dead was more of your kind of slock zombie movie and they yeah. wanted to kind of make this more of a grindhouse style Film. Very and self-aware, like, with the humour and the kind of oh, the, yeah, the references. I, I loved the, Overkill. It was, of you know, it is complete Overkill. The whole thing, but I, <laughs> I just loved it. I loved the silly humour and the kind of gore and everything. And the, oh, there's well, like, a level, isn't there? A set where you're killing loads of clowns and that. Is that right? Oh yes, there is. Yeah, there's a carnival level, so there is. Another. Yeah, brilliant. I had these. I'd say I'd be sold one, but no, I remember that one being great fun. Overkill, like the best out of the, the three that you've mentioned. Yeah, certainly on previous episodes where we've mentioned Nintendo, you know, um, whenever people say Nintendo and Nintendo consoles, it's always oh these are for kids. You know, why would anybody, <laughs> any serious gamers, want to play this? House of the Dead Overkill is ridiculously sweary. Yeah. Um, the fact that even on the opening credits starts off with a pole dance. That's it. Well, this was this was in the time when uh, the Wii was trying to reinvent itself as not just for kids. So you had this and Mad World That's it, and a yeah. few other games where yep. it was really edgy and kind of a bit crazy. Um, so yeah, the storyline is basically um, 
your team is a black guy and a, a government agent or whatever that have obviously got themselves mixed up in um, something that's obviously going wrong again it's another madman what have you but even then the mad protagonist that you think is going to be the villain of the piece um, isn't and there's a twist further on down the line each of the levels is played out like an episode of a grindhouse film and like a sort of a mini series there's about six or seven um of them the there's film grain and everything on the screen and what have you at the time so you know it does actually feel as if you're playing um a very cheesy and uh, ridiculous over the top film <laughs> and uh it just it's <laughs> it's brilliant so it is the if anything, I would actually say the graphics maybe aren't quite as strong, but then there's an awful lot more going on on screen um, compared to, say, House of the Dead 2 or 3. And I do think it plays just a little bit slower, um, but that's not necessarily a bad thing because it actually makes it feel a little bit more real um, with the the enemies and what have you sort of sprinting towards you. There are plenty of extras and what have you within this as well. There's golden brains. I think there's 10 of them spread out through... Um, uh, 10 in each episode for you to um, collect and what have you and again that will open up extra little bits and pieces once you finish the first version of the story mode that then unlocks a director's story mode um, there's an option or a, an extra that you can open up where you actually get the dual wield guns as a single player um, there's an achievement for killing 50 enemies gangster style which is obviously holding your um, gun sideways and uh, it's just an awful lot of fun and uh, yeah so ridiculously over the top but obviously they are playing for that over the topness and just playing it for laughs um, at how ridiculous it is and uh, yeah an awful lot of fun yeah I think this did get ported over to the move like to, to it the is PS3. yeah it's on the PS3 yeah. on the move yeah I think in a slightly extended cut or a slightly different version yeah because I remember they did the same with um, there was a dead space uh, I don't know if it was a prequel or not, but there's a Dead Space yeah, light like gun. Dead game. Space Extraction, yeah, That's it was it. on the Wii, and then it was, yeah, um, it was a bonus in the Dead Space Two um, special edition on the PS3 yeah. as well. Yeah, I kept meaning to, to play that one, but obviously once I I'd sold the gun and the the, the game, I, I missed out. But one day. So that has been my games. As for which one I would recommend for a lapsed gamer. Oh, that's a very hard choice. I would probably say House of the Dead Overkill, um, just because of the ridiculous over-the-topness of it, and <laughs> just to prove that the Wii was never entirely a kid's console. Um, but I would highly recommend that people go out and play Actual Sunlight if they have access to it, um, either via PS Plus or even with it costing maybe a couple of pounds on Steam. Um, it's definitely one to try. I would also recommend then the sort of almost companion piece, um, but not specifically related depression quest as well. Um, what with it being a freebie, it's uh, worth trying as well. Uh, there's another game that could probably go, although it's a little bit different, it's more of an, act, an actual game, but in terms of trying to convey quite heavy messaging, uh, Papo EO. Yes, uh, that was another, another plus. One game as well wasn't it yeah that was um yeah a child's kind of abstract interpretation of obviously a you know a yeah. traumatizing real life event yeah now that 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 looks fascinating we should put that on the playlist at some point yeah another yeah absolutely. another game like yeah. that that just popped into my head was that dragon cancer as well oh yeah yeah, yeah. i think yeah. i think adam played that and spoke about that on the show in the past yeah. he did yeah right i'll rattle through my one quick uh, my ones quickly because i've got uh, a fair few so 
Uh, as mentioned earlier, I finished off Uncharted 4. Uh, Yay! It yeah. <laughs> picked it up months ago. Uh, played through the first two thirds, maybe three quarters of it in quite a short space of time, and then stopped playing for the stupidest of reasons. Um, I was enjoying it so much, I didn't want it to end. So I stopped <laughs> playing it, thinking, like, as long as I don't play it, then it hasn't finished. Um, especially considering it's like the last Uncharted game and it's a series that I really enjoyed. Um, that game is really, really good. Um, I thought that they wouldn't ever be able to surpass uh, Uncharted 2, uh, but this one has done. Um, ever since uh, The Last of Us came out and um, Neil Druckmann and Bruce, can't remember his surname, um, those two guys sort of took over development. Um, Naughty Dog have sort of taken a slightly more serious, um, darker perspective. Uh, it's nowhere near as heavy uh, or um, emotionally traumatizing in places as The Last of Us is, uh, but it's got it's quite dark and quite heavy in places for an Uncharted story. It's not the light-hearted Indiana Jones romp. It's very, very emotional. Uh, and the thing that they've got—I mean, it's got everything you expect. Like it's got you know running and jumping and, and climbing and and shooting and giant set pieces and amazing uh, locations that you go to. But it's the actual storytelling that's just ratcheted up. Um, not just in like the quality of of the voice acting. Um, and the animation, which has always been really good, uh, but now they've got like they're, they're, they're using uh, really complicated motion uh, capture techniques to actually capture the characters' facial expressions and then animate over the top because obviously it's not the actual actors themselves. Uh, faces in it, they've, the, the Nolan North doesn't look like Nathan Drake, um, but they've they've managed to they, they, they managed to do things that that even games like La Noire, which fully captured actors' faces couldn't do, and that's being able to convey quite complex emotions through really, really subtle, non-verbal, like, facial animations, or just, like, the subtle movement of, of an eyebrow or something like that. Um, it's it's a fantastic game. Um, it only, only takes about 12 to 15 hours to complete, I think. Like, like all the Uncharted games, it's not particularly long. Uh, if you can pick it up cheap and you've got a PS4, it's an absolute must-play, because the, the especially if you're a fan of the other ones, because it, it ties everything up very, very neatly. It's got a very, very satisfying conclusion, but um, the storytelling uh, and the the way that the characters convey the story is just a level above um, what has been in previous Uncharted games, and I'm, I'm really excited to see what uh, Naughty Dog do next. Um... Next one on the list uh, was an ordeal. I finally... <laughs> it really was. Uh, I finally ticked off Mad Max. Um, I got Mad Max late last year. I think that's when it came out. Um, I picked off it up. Off the back of the fantastic uh, George Miller film, of course. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah, it came out roughly about the same time. But it's not really connected. I think that the main... Um, antagonist is supposed to be uh, related to Rictus Erectus from um, uh, Fury oh. Road, who was the son of, uh, you know, the really tall guy. Yes. Yeah. 
Um, with a really kind of like obviously amped up on Mother's Milk guy. Like yes, that guy. Like grotesquely muscular. Yeah. So I'm pretty sure if I can remember correctly from from uh, earlier on in the game, it mentioned that he's he's related to to Rictus Erectus, uh, and and Gas Town that gets mentioned in um, in Fury Road is is in uh, the Mad Max game. But apart from that, it's not connected. It's a different Mad Max. It's an actual Australian Mad Max. Um, so I'll cover the good points quickly because there aren't that many of them unfortunately um the story is quintessential mad max um it's in the way that, that every mad max story has been he's sort of just like a drifter comes into these these people like these people's lives gets tied up in a storyline concludes that and then just drives off into the sunset at the end um he's got no um he doesn't really have an emotional connection to any of the characters at all. Uh, he's just there, does what he needs to do to help them out, and also in a selfish way to help himself out, and then just pisses off. Um, <laughs> the world itself is is stunning in a very bleak way. Like the the the, the way they designed the, uh, the the wasteland is is it, it's yeah it's it's a, got a stark beauty to it. Um, and the actual vehicle combat uh, and building up the, the magnum opus, as they call it, your car, uh, is really, really enjoyable. But unfortunately, everything else gets in the way of it. Um, the main mission lines, the story is good, but what you basically do is go to a place, fight a bunch of guys with the Batman combat system, but it's not as fun as Batman because he's not Batman. Um <laughs> And then to build up your car to the like, I got to the point where I was uh, all I had left to do was the final mission, and it kept on warning me that to do this you'll need to fully upgrade the magnum opus. In order to fully upgrade the magnum opus, you have to reduce the threat level in all of the regions to zero, which means doing endless boring bullshit side missions like driving to a minefield and then driving on really slowly until this dog barks and then getting out and going and defusing a mine then getting back in the car oh, and driving so the, really the side slowly. missions aren't optional then you're no. saying ultimately it gets to a point where they are obligatory oh well, okay they well it says they're obligatory um so i did them all maxed out the magnum opus went and did the final mission and at that point i found out then that the car was so overpowered that the final mission was an absolute <laughs> breeze um <laughs> That's how some people choose to play those sort of games. You know, do so much excessive grinding that it is a breeze just to power through like the latest yeah, stages. Yeah, but I expected it to be a little bit of a challenge. I mean, like the drive, the, the the final mission is based mainly around the driving combat, and that stuff's really good. But everything else about the game is just not fun. Uh, the side missions are incredibly repetitive, incredibly boring. There's lots of nonsense collectibles and stuff that you've got to do um, to be able to, to max out the car. And the side, it, it was a chore doing the side stuff, whereas it should have been fun. Um, it's so it's made by uh, it's not going to be the same studio, but it's been the same umbrella as um, Batman series and. Um, also Shadow of Mordor, and Shadow of Mordor is another game that's got massive open worlds where there's not a lot in it, but what elevated Shadow of Mordor above being an average game into being a really good game was the Nemesis system, yeah. uh, and Mad Max was just crying out for a system like that, where you've got all these different warlords uh, occupying different parts of the wasteland. If it had had a Nemesis system in there and you could play them off against each other, it would have elevated Mad Max into being a good game, whereas it's just... it's. <sighs> It's just distinctly average. Um, if it wasn't for the car combat and the, the storyline and the actual setting, it would be. I, I probably would have sacked it off, 
to be honest, but I wanted to see where the story ended, because it is a good Mad Max story, uh, and parts of it are fun, it's just that everything else gets in the way, so I can't really, in good conscience, recommend it to anyone, unless you can pick it up for next to nothing, and you don't mind grinding away at pointless side missions for hours. <laughs> so yeah, there you go. Nice. Um, next up, uh, Orcs B, which I picked up on Stuart's recommendation. Um, Everyone seems to be doing that at the moment. Uh, it is, yeah, as we talked about it earlier, it's, it's a really, really good sort of like puzzle game. You have a starting um, point uh, and an end point, like uh, d- different like uh, ports for, for different sort of like uh, different uh, jacks, diff- different cable jacks, and you have to like find a path through the different units to um, get to the end point. Uh, it's a really, really simple premise, but an incredibly good uh, puzzle game. And... Um, I understand once you've finished it off, or finished all the, the set puzzles, then it's got like a procedurally generated mode or something like that? Oh, um, it might well do. Um, I think I completed it ages ago. Um, and oh, okay. Sub- sort of subsequently deleted it, but um, that would be very cool if it does have that. I think that's what, because uh, um, you got Andy Brown from Codec Moments hooked on it as well. <laughs> yes. Uh, and I think he was mentioning that, um, yeah, once you've finished the game, then you have then you go on like a procedural generated mode. So it just is just endless. Oh, so you can carry on playing it for as long as you want. <laughs> but yeah, that's dead good. I'm uh, probably going to down, re-download that again. I seem to be responsible yeah. for quite a few of what will, of games that will end up on Kev's game of the year list <laughs> yeah <laughs> because yeah. they're usually free puzzle games and kev just goes all over them so it does there's one that you recommended a while ago it's threatening to to creep onto my list as well but we'll come to that <laughs> when we do our game of the year list fair enough um speaking of andy brown from codec moments uh based on his continual recommendation bordering on nagging i uh I recently changed jobs, and um, when I left my, uh, when I moved the departments, the people in the old department all chipped together and got me a, a gift card for game. So um, against my better judgment, I actually had to buy a, ga- a game from Game. <laughs> um, so I picked up a secondhand copy of Rainbow Six Siege. Uh, used to love playing Rainbow Six Vegas, and yeah. oh, excuse me, and Vegas Two back in the day. Um, and this is just basically more of that. Um, there's some subtle changes, like uh, instead of having like a set, you have like a avatar that you load out in whatever way you want. It's now divided into different characters, and the characters have different weapons and different um, tech, different pieces of equipment uh, depending on what sort of character they are. And then they have like a signature item. So like there's a a guy called Sledge. Um, who he has uh, like he has regular equipment, but then has like a massive sledgehammer, so he can just knock holes through um, barricades that the enemy have put up against doors and windows and things like that. Um, it's really good. It's really really tactical. Um, it's super hard. Like if you uh, there's no like regenerating health or health packs or anything like that. If you take damage, then you've taken damage. If you get killed, then you're dead. Uh, and you, you have to sit out until the end of the round. Uh, I haven't played any of the multiplayer. I've just been playing um, Terrorist Hunt, um, where you and however many people you teamed up with, it's up to five people, um, go into a, a compound or like a, this one that's like a, a hotel and one that's a bank, and they're all set in like interesting sort of um, 
locations. You go in and there's a set number of terrorists and you have to hunt them down and kill them. And it's as simple as that. Um, that was the mode I used to really enjoy back on uh, Rainbow Six Vegas playing split screen on on 360, um, doing the terrorist hunt on that. And that's, yeah, really, really good. Um, next up, uh, The Division. A game which, when it first came out back in the mists of time, sort of March, era, February, March time of this year, um, I could not get enough of. I absolutely loved it. Uh, and the game, when it came out in its vanilla form, was really, really good. Uh, and then Ubisoft Massive made some change, uh, brought some patches and brought in some more content, um, the incursions um, stuff that I've, I've mentioned before. Uh, and it all went tits up. Uh, there were exploits in the game which meant that people who were quite happy um, taking advantage of exploits became massively overpowered so then you couldn't go into the dark zone which was like the PvP element of the game because as soon as you went in you'd just be murdered by the first lot of, of other players you came up against and the end game grind became just interminable it was it was horrible like you'd you grind for hours and hours and hours and get one piece of equipment that was on level with what you'd already got yeah, it, was a, it was just a hideous slog through most of the, even even you know playing the single player to get to that point you did feel like oh, it needed to be about half as long and yeah. like you say it needed half as much grinding and the the, the rng kind of um, needed to be kind of upped just so you were yeah. getting drops quicker you know that's what I always felt with the game, and it was that's that's why I dropped out of it. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that was that was the, the, the yeah that was the, the big problem with that is is the situation it got to at the at the, the end game. Um, one of the big things was like the incursions were incredibly difficult, and you needed high level gear to to be able to complete the incursions. But you could only get that high level gear by completing the incursions. So um, I'd sacked that off ages ago. Uh, and they brought out the first piece of DLC and apparently didn't really fix things. Um, but to Ubisoft Massive's credit, what they've done is they delayed the subsequent pieces of DLC. Like, they were supposed to be three deep at this point, but have delayed the other two pieces. And so last week they brought out patch 1.4, um, which has completely changed the way the game plays. Like, in terms of, like, the actual mechanics, everything's the same. Uh, but it has now become what it always should have been, which is, like, the sort of quasi-Diablo shooter that it always should have been like you know like when you play borderlands and the game just shits loot all the yeah. time that's what it's like in the Amazing. division now so when you go in depending on your gear score which is like your level uh, the, the the quality of the equipment you have once you reach the end game uh, you can set the world tier uh, there's four different world tiers and depending on which one you've set the enemies all the enemies will drop equipment at that the top end of that world tier right. so um what had taken me hours and hours of gaming um, last time through when I played it to be able to get one piece of equipment that was like gear level 170 or something like that. Uh, jumped in on um, patch uh, 1.4 and I just went out into the open world and just started look, you know, finding the little groups of trash mobs that uh, before were pointless because once you reach the end point they were all like 10, 20 or more levels below you so there's no point even engaging them. Like you give them a nasty look and they die and they drop nothing. Um, within 20 minutes I picked up two pieces of equipment which were better than anything that I had. Like just random enemies on the street that were dropping pieces of gear sets uh, like the top level uh, equipment. Um, 
So yeah, I've jumped in. I've been playing a bunch more of that. Um, I haven't really done any missions or anything like that. We've just been going out and doing the bounties and um, leveling up incredibly quickly and and having fun with the game again. And that's the thing is because like it's a really fun game to play, but the grind just put everybody off. Yeah. Um, and this has fixed all of that. But um, the worry I've got is that maybe it's too little, too late. I think. Possibly most of the, the the people who were playing the division when it first came out have now moved on and have no intention of coming back, which is a shame. It is a shame it took them this long, but the game is now what it should have been it never, when it launched. It never fostered the goodwill that Destiny kind of managed no. to hang on to. Yeah. Yeah, like Destiny managed somehow, yeah. despite having lots of problems, to hang on to its player base. And a lot of people came back to it once the Taken King came out and they fixed all these problems. And lots of people have come back to the division, but nowhere near the numbers that, that yeah. probably should. Because I think a lot of people would have just traded it in, I guess, and have no intention of going back. But yeah, the division is finally in the place, it's finally in a good place. So I'm quite hopeful for the future of that game. Mm-hmm. Uh, and finally, um, I caved and broke my backlog rule and um, <clears throat> picked up a copy of Titanfall 2 for significantly less than it should have been, but uh, you know, still you know, spent money on a new game when I shouldn't have. Um, I never played the first Titanfall, I didn't have um, an Xbox One. So a lot of the stuff I'm going to say is probably not particularly news to anyone who played the first one. Um, that game's really good. Uh, I played through the open beta uh, the, I think the both weekends it was out. Um, the first weekend it came out, there were I, I really enjoyed it because it was quite novel. But a lot of people complained about how the multiplayer played. And then uh, Respawn listened to that. And then when the uh, second weekend of the beta came out, they changed it up quite a lot. And the, the multiplayer was a lot faster and they, they made some other changes. Um, this one's different to the first one. It's actually got a campaign. In the first Titanfall, it was like the campaign was told through the multiplayer missions. Yeah. Um, which I'm not entirely sure how that works. They, they, it, was, it was basically you would just get dropped in. You would get a little bit of a radio play at the start uh, from a guy uh, over your comms telling you you had to go and do X, Y, and Z. And then you would run through a multiplayer map. Uh, yeah. It was set up with a single player premise. And it was just they were chained together. So you'd mm. eventually play through all the multiplayer maps, and then that was the end of the campaign. It, yeah, it was it was literally nothing. Right. Whereas uh, this time round, it's actually got a proper campaign, and it's got a really really good campaign. Like I've seen some people, like uh, when Kotaku reviewed it, I can't remember who reviewed it for them, but that reviewer said they put it in the same tier as Half Life and Halo. Um, I'm not sure I'd go quite that far. It's not a game changer like Half-Life was, but it is far better than a campaign tacked onto a multiplayer shooter like this has any right to be. Like it's far better than any campaign I've played in like Call of Duty or well, Battlefield campaigns have been mm. rubbish anyway. But um yeah, it's it's a really really good campaign. It's it does things that other shooters can't do just by the nature of the way that game plays with like the, the traversal. With your wall run. Yeah, yeah. The, the way that you traverse with like the it's it the traversal is incredibly fast and you got the wall running and the double jumping and and the quick sliding. Were you surprised um, at how easy that was to just start getting into because that's what I found yeah. when I first started playing on the Xbox 1 on the original is that 
I never thought that I would be running vertically up walls to get to higher areas. I just thought I'd be kind of, you know, staying on deck. But actually what I mm. found myself doing was using that to get the jump on people and kind of nip, nip my way over at the top of a building to catch someone on the other side and that kind of stuff. You know, I, yeah, I never what... thought I'd have the, the motor skills to do that. You'd think it would be incredibly difficult to you know be, be running at that speed and like double jumping and then wall running and then jumping off that wall onto one that's opposite it and then wall running along that and then yeah. leaping onto the back of a titan and dropping a grenade in the slot at the top and then leaping off and it, it's it when you watch it, it looks like oh wow that looks incredibly difficult but it just feels so so natural so simple so natural yeah it's like you the the input on your control to what you're doing on the screen just is so smooth it makes anybody look like <laughs> looks like a pro gamer yeah. uh, playing it like it it controls incredibly well um, the cam yeah the campaign's got really good uh, really good story and it, and the way that it plays with the mechanics is in, in, incredible incredibly good as well um, actually found myself getting quite emotionally connected to the titan that you um that you go through the campaign with a, a, a titan called bt it's got it's got a good sort of like buddy robot story going on um and yeah i really enjoyed about that and then the multiplayer is is really really good uh i haven't gotten this ha i haven't got this much fun out of like a fast paced twitch um shooter like this since probably modern warfare one um, it's got, it's probably got too many modes, um, uh, for a reason that I'll come on to later when we talk about this again in the news, but, um, it's got, it's, it's got like your standard, like your team deathmatch, there's like pilot v pilot, which is just team deathmatch without the titans, and then there's like last titan standing, which is like a team deathmatch, where you're where the team is that starts off in the titans and the last uh, the last titan standing on the on the on the field uh, that team wins uh, and then you've got like some uh, more tactical modes like um capturing points and holding them and then one really fun one which is sort of bounty uh called bounty hunt where the two teams go in and the game will drop in ai mobs and you're competing with each other to try and kill the most number of those and like you get money uh, and then occasionally it'll drop in like a neutral titan and both teams are fighting to kill that titan and they claim that money and then at the end of the round you have to get back to one of two fixed point banks and bank that money uh, and the, the first team to get to $5,000 um, wins but um, where you've got this really tense like risk reward mechanic where sort of like you're on a roll and you don't want to try and risk going back to the bank because if you get killed by an enemy, then you lose fifty percent of everything you're holding. Uh, so that mode is is that was the mode that was the the main one in the the beta, and that, that's the mode I've been playing the most of that and uh, Last Titan Standing. But um, I've only had it for four days, so there's still a lot of it that I, I need to explore. But so far, I'm really really enjoying it. Um, so, um, Mark, did you? Sorry, Chaz, did you say you've played this? Uh, I played. played the, I played one? the first one, um, yeah. and I'm massively into the first one. Um, it, it it was an incredible game that was massively overlooked. Um, yeah, at, no, because I'm interested to know whether they've because you're saying obviously they've completely beefed up the campaign aspects of it. But mm. this Titanfall was a game that I was hearing 
kind of people that aren't traditionally FPS fans saying they really kind of they gave it a go. I tell you, I tell you really why enjoyed it. I tell you why it worked for people that um, went into first person shooters um, is that uh, the original game had more of a MOBA sense uh, t- sensibility to it. Yes, in, in as much as there was a lot of kind of um, NPC characters that would be like autom- automated bots that would come in with the. Um, with the other like human control players so what you could do is even if you weren't very good at like you know killing human control players you could go around clearing up the trash mobs and um, oh gain, gaining a few points and helping out your team so mm. um, you all, and there was like a gun that was called the smart pistol um, which yes. you didn't even have to aim at a person you would just hold the button down and it would automatically detect where the person was and then you would let go and it would shoot them so there was lots of kind of things to bring in players who weren't very good at shooters mm. um what i've what i'm interested to hear from you mark is about titanfall 2 is have they gone away from that because uh, like, like with things like i remember you you would always get a titan because it was always on a permanent ti- timer and yeah. what i found in the beta was that you were actually it was now tied to kill streaks as opposed yes. to as opposed to just giving you a titan all the time so if so that's that's one of the things they changed between the two weekends of the beta because in the uh first weekend it was tied to the the killstreak thing and people didn't like that yeah i'm not amazing at first person shooters like i i was doing fine killing the trash mobs like the 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 creeps or whatever you want to call them but I i didn't get a particularly good kd going up against other players and so i didn't get my titan very often people complained about that and then to the credit in the second weekend it was put back onto the timer system and that's what it's like in the full game yeah um the main thing is like in titanfall one because it was an xbox one and windows 10 exclusive um no not windows 10 um origin sorry yeah exclusive uh at least on xbox one they had the azure um cloud computing system that's it uh and they used the power of that to to control basically the trash mobs and so there were lots and lots of ai enemies now in most of the modes in titanfall 2 that uh, apart from um uh well it, it basically in every mode uh, apart from two there aren't any ai enemies yeah, it's attrition i think is the mode that they they have yeah mobs in yeah. attrition attrition is basically what it was in titanfall one okay. where it's team deathmatch but there's loads of ai enemies about so there's always things to shoot and the ai enemies are easy to shoot so you can pick up lots of points if, like you said even if you're not particularly good at shooters and then um bounty hunt is basically the main thing you're doing is killing the ai mobs because that's how you get the most money um but apart from that uh, most of the modes as far as i gather don't have them in they're straight pvp yeah straight pvp which is why i'm sticking to um to uh, attrition um the bounty hunt one and then the, the the last titan standing which is just like it's it's a little bit more suited to the way to, to someone who's not particularly great at shooters can be a little bit more tactical because it's like a team-based five titans against five titans yeah. um and you're you know your giant hulking mech warrior suits um so everything's a little bit slower paced yeah, it's, it's, um, it's world of tanks basically by the sounds of it yeah yeah, yeah but yeah it is basically yeah yeah um like the instead of there being there was only three titans in the first one and this this one the six and they all play incredibly uh, differently, and the way that they can complement each other yeah. um, in that particular mode, in particular, um, is uh, yeah, can get very tactical. Um, I had, like I said, I've kind of shied away from the other modes because I don't like straight PvP in that sort of game too yeah. much. But 
it's such a joy to play. I'm not going to rule out playing those modes no. either. It's the Titanfall in in either in either iteration. It, it handles so well, and mm -hmm. um, like I say, it's 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 Infinity Ward. It's the ex Infinity Ward guys now respawned. So um, yeah, it, it was always going to play well. It was just a mm -hmm. matter of um, whether they can. The problem with it is whether it can gain enough of an audience now it's gone multi-platform because I think it was it was very much hampered on the Xbox One and Windows side as being an exclusive. Yeah. So it's going to be very interesting to see if there's enough hype, if there's enough, uh, you know, uh, love for the first one and people like yourself who didn't pick it up the first time around but, you know, are willing to give it a try now because they've heard so much good hype about the game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it'd be really interesting just to see whether it can get over that kind of Battlefield and Call of Duty uh, hurdle, as it were. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, almost conversely to that, I'm intrigued to know whether, because a few of the people that I've heard talk about it who, say, who identify as not being into first-person shooters, they kind of like played Splatoon and loved it, and they mentioned Titanfall was another one they played, and also the Star Wars yeah. Battlefront. Yeah. I'm just wondering, would those people then go to the sequel um, will will it be that they'll go to that expecting it to be, you know, like as as accessible and as as easy I, per se, I get the as the first one? Yeah. Or does it be too complex now? I get the feeling that Titanfall Two has been made slightly more hardcore than Titanfall yeah. One was, yeah. mm -hmm. just from reading, you know. Uh, yeah, in in certain aspects, it, from what I understand, in certain aspects it has, like like I said, like all but two of the modes are strict PvP, and you don't have the mobs. Um, but the fact that you've got like a dedicated, really good campaign that's you know it's five hours yeah. long yeah. and uh, it's it's eminently replayable. I've already started my second playthrough of it, like because um, I've, <laughs> I've actually decided it's, it seems like it's quite an easy platinum trophy to get actually. So I'm going to try and go for the platinum on that. Nice. Um, and then if you want to play Titanfall like it was in the first one, then you've always got the attrition mode, which from the player counts is the most popular mode. So it will still play like the first one did if yeah. you stick to that mode. And Bounty Hunt, from what I understand, is not a million miles away from attrition mode either, just with some extra little mechanical quirks in there with the, having to bank the money that you earn uh, system. Um, but yeah, yeah, I'd be intrigued, like any game like this, uh, that's got a, um, a big push towards the multiplayer aspect just to see how long its legs are because things yes. seem to drop off so quickly now yeah with so many games yeah that's that's something i want to bring up in the in the news section um, shall we go to that now yeah well i'll just uh i'll just say that uh i, I mean if you're I, I, titanfall 2 is probably a decent shooter for a lapsed gamer if, if you're looking for a first person shooter because um, one of the things it does is like unlocks aren't strictly tied to your progression. You earn credits as you're playing, uh, depending on how well you do, and then you can spend those credits to unlock things l earlier than you would just by leveling up, so that you can quite early on unlock the things that you want, and then not have to worry about oh I haven't played it as much as other people, so I'm not going to have all the cool toys that they've got. Like you can get what you want early on and not have to worry about waiting. Um, so you can play that as much or as little as you want. Um, but I've got to say, if I'm, I'm going to suggest one of those games for a, a lapsed gamer, it's got to be Orcs B because it's you know it's a really good puzzle game. Each puzzle will take you know thirty seconds to five ten minutes, depending on how difficult it is. Um, and it's completely free on Android. Is it free on iOS as well? I think it might be. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing Kev, it um, probably is. Yes. <laughs> 
Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, everyone's got an iOS or an Android device, so yeah, you've got no excuse not to check that out. It's dead good. Okay, so moving on to the news, um, I've got a couple of quick things that I wanted to talk about before we move into more of the news stories. Uh, the first one is, we haven't overlooked the whole Bethesda debacle with them uh, refusing to give out copies of games to reviewers early. Um, we just think that it's such a deep and quite heavy topic that we need to dedicate more time than we can uh, in this news section, so that's something we're going to tackle at some point in the future in a dedicated um, topic episode. Uh, the only other thing I, I wanted to mention is coming off the, the back of talking about Titanfall 2 is um, the way that EA in their desperate attempts to try and capitalise on the fact that people aren't that excited about Call of Duty this year to try and do some sort of one-two punch and knock their sales down as much as possible by putting Battlefield 1 and Titanfall 2 out within a week of each other. Um which has turned out to be not very good for the poor fellas over at Respawn um, who've made, as I said, a, a fantastic game but putting it out a week after Battlefield 1 has meant that uh, I think they had, I think Battlefield 1 has six times as many players online um, over the opening weekend of Titanfall 2 than Titanfall 2 did um, Last night when I booted it up there were 22,000 people playing Titanfall 2 um, which is, you know, it's not a small number, but for a game like that is not great. And I just think it's pretty shitty of EA to send it out to die just to try and cut into Call of Duty's sales. I don't know if you guys have got any thoughts on that at all. Um, I th also, as I said before, I think it was it's also a victim of the fact that it was an exclusive... Uh, on a you know to one platform tied to one platform i think again that would have been ea's decision yeah, as well i think i think if that had had come out multi-platform before you'd have had a lot of people thinking oh well yeah i really enjoyed titanfall on, on the playstation 4 i'll pick up titanfall 2 and kind of you get that rolling uh you know rolling hype whereas Everyone knows Battlefield. They've been in with Battlefield from Bad Company to Battlefield 3 to, you know, so on and so forth, Battlefield 4. And it's just a rolling marketing machine that, that kind of, you know, um, snowballs, as it were. And I don't think Titanfall is having that snowball effect, and therefore it, no. I don't necessarily think it's been sent out to die, but I just think it's, it's a victim of a really packed window for shooters and that's like the thing is it and that's ea's decision like especially yeah. to put it out like to, to hype the shit out of battlefield one 
and then also, you know, do quite a large marketing campaign for, Ty for Titanfall 2, but then to put it out a week after Battlefield 1, like, they should have just waited, yeah. put it out early next year, give it some clean space um, but I wonder away from if, the other But I wonder if they're expecting Titanfall to have a longer tail in the post-Christmas, you know, uh, you know yeah, bedtime. Yeah, I imagine people will pick it up for cheap because it is yeah. I think it's this game's going to drop in price uh, well, drop in price quite Titanfall quickly Titanfall 1 dropped to like sort of 10 or 12 quid near in the sort of mid term of its life and mm. suddenly went big gangbusters in, in, yeah. play, in player base and I wonder if that maybe they're doing that but then that also had like paid DLC which splintered the, yeah, the player base whereas Titanfall 2 has no season pass so all the future maps and modes will be free so mm. that helps it in that sense yeah. but still I just think it's it's I feel sorry for the guys over at Respawn for the, their first game comes out and EA take Microsoft's money to make it a, an Xbox One yes. and PC exclusive, uh, which will cut the number of people who played that, especially considering the PS4 has got a larger player base than the Xbox One. And then they come out and make the second one and make it multi-platform and then EA decides to put it out a week after their big you know, tentpole first-person shooter release. It's just... I feel sorry for them. Yeah. Well, hopefully, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I can't speak to the industry because I've got no idea. But I mean, it's I'm imagining things like the release of certain titles would be known way in advance. Like the way that you're talking about, it, it's almost as if it's a decision that's been made in the short term. I imagine there must be kind of contractual reasons that certain windows have to be hit, and it mm. would make more sense to me if it was being pushed out as an alternative. Like if we were talking about earlier, the first Titanfall game was a noticeable, yeah. um, notably different type of first person shooter, then that would make sense that they could go out in a very kind of packed window. But if they're if now Titan 2 Titanfall 2 is chasing that more hardcore shooter market, then that's that's where it gets overly congested and it's kind of like it, you you question the need for another game like that when you've got the heavy hitters so yeah it's, it's an intriguing one itself like where the developers were trying what was what was the demographic themselves that the the mark the developers were trying to you know target that game towards because they were gonna they would always have to they're, they're always gonna have to come up against you know the big large franchises if that if that is you know the same players that they're they're trying to you know chase after would it not have made more sense to you know go for a completely different avenue of player like you know obviously like well, has done that's like the i mean on the face of it they play they should play to very different audiences like battlefields players are very different to cod players and there was a very clear divide between what sort of first person shoot you liked you either were mad into cod or you're mad into battlefield because they played so very differently and I think EA's reasoning was we'll stick Titanfall 2 out because it plays a little bit more like COD um, and it's going to appeal to those sort of players and that will help cut into um, COD's um, player base a little bit. But what's happened is that the appeal for Battlefield 1 is a lot wider than Battlefield games have been in the past. And so, I mean, Battlefield 1 has sold, outsold any of the previous uh, Battlefield games over its like opening week by quite a large margin. And so people who would have ordinarily been on the other side have jumped over onto Battlefield and therefore have not picked up Titanfall. Yeah, I'd be interested uh, to see if um, it's also a situation where EA are hedging their bets a little bit. And because of the change to a more historical, uh, you know, setting in Battlefield One, maybe they thought, well, maybe we need to have something that's a little bit more COD-like, 
as well running alongside this so that if Battlefield 1 doesn't pick up maybe Titanfall can pick up the slack you know hmm. it might I, I wonder if that's a situation that you know they thought they had to have two things out because they were touches, taking such a gamble on Battlefield 1 and it's set yeah. but then they've had an absolute result and Battlefield 1's done absolute gangbusters and you yeah. know, as long as Titanfall does enough sales it's it's a win-win situation for them yeah I mean I just hope that the game has I mean it helps that it's not got paid for DLC so it's not going to splinter the player base Absolutely. it's just this is the sort of game that I'm going to want to be playing for a long time I want to be able to boot it up in six months and know that there's going to be a player base there to be able to play with I don't yeah. want to have to wait for ages to jump into a match like what happened with, with Star Wars Battlefront where if you jumped on the wrong time of day, you could sit waiting to be matched with other players for ages and not get anywhere. I just don't want that to happen with no. Titanfall because it doesn't deserve it. It's no. such a good game. It, it doesn't deserve it. Yeah. But yeah, that's my two cents on that. <laughs> um, so uh, with regards to actual news, um, first one is a bit of late breaking news that broke uh, today. Uh, so we're not actually recording on the 31st. We're recording on the, the 1st of November. Uh, we usually record on Monday, but we decided to record on a Tuesday today. And today, um, news broke that there's going to be another Tomb Raider. And the way this was discovered was somebody took a snapshot on... Um, where was it? The, it wasn't the London Underground, was it? No, uh, it was the Montreal Subway. Montreal Subway. Oh, Montreal Subway, yeah. of uh, Somebody sat in the, the chair next to them working on a presentation on their laptop for a new Tomb Raider game. So, uh, what's it called? Shadow, Shadow of the, the Tomb Raider. Raider. Yeah. yeah. Um, so Kotaku did some investigation and they've actually verified the name as... Th- that, is, that is accurate. That is uh, an in-development Tomb Raider game. Um, I'm kind of surprised... Uh, I, to be honest, I was surprised that they made a second Tomb Raider because Square Enix can be really funny with these things. When the first Tomb Raider came out, it sold pretty well. Um, but... Square are never satisfied with with things like that, yeah. and so they they made a lot of noise about oh it didn't meet our expectations, uh, and then they bring out the second one and they make it console exclusive for a year, um, which I don't think has helped the sales. So they're probably disappointed with this one as well, but they're pushing ahead and making a third one apparently. Which uh, this I mean, I seems the to be one. though they're giving it to a different team and doing right. it as an off year like like the Batman games were so rather than okay. you know, like with the Batman team it was Rocksteady did the first two and then I have no idea who did uh, the third one um, if this is going to be a similar situation they're going to palm this off onto an, an, an external team and then let the uh, let, let their sort of Montreal based team um, try and put real serious work into maybe another Tomb Raider game that's a little bit bigger hmm. and a little bit more interesting yeah I don't know yeah, I mean, I haven't played the second one, but I really, really like very, the, very the first good. reboot game. Yeah, I, I will get around to playing it. It's, it's a, I'd say it's a, it's a lot more well-rounded a game than the mm-hmm. first one was. The first one did feel like uh, almost a bit sort of corridor shooty, um, and it it was quite traditional. And I did have sort of issues with like very great story, very well presented, but like I had issues with it was just kind of walk from place to place, get to the arena, kill the the boss at the arena move on oh and yeah. by the way there are some side tombs whereas in this there's sort of great big open world areas that you get to explore and it just feels vaster in scope and a little bit yeah. more sort of considered yeah oh, I'll get around to playing that and um, yeah I'm glad that the franchise is still going yeah yeah so I think 
think from the story that you've linked to, I think it's Eurogamer have said that it's not going to be Crystal Dynamics. It's going to be is it Edos? Is that Idos, it? Idos Montreal? Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. it. So um, yeah, like uh, Chazzy was saying, it's going to be a scenario where the kind of main developer are going to be working on something else, presumably, and then you know this this other kind of it, yeah. team are going to take on this one. Okay, so I guess to, to round out this brief news section, uh, Stuart's got some follow-up stories from uh, our little Switch discussion the other week. I do. Um, since we did our quick extrasode on the reveal trailer of the Switch, there have been a few stories that have managed to sneak out under Nintendo's watchful eye. And in reality... <laughs> yeah, no, we're not talking about it again until January. <laughs> oh, yeah, all these no. stories. <laughs> I, I was going to say, usually the sort of um, watertight Nintendo have been leakier than a submarine made out of Swiss cheese this time <laughs> round. Um, but all of these reports have come from letsplayvideogames.com, um, but they have also been backed up um, by Eurogamer from their own um, independent um, sources. So while these are still unofficial, they can probably be taken as near enough guarantee. Yeah. I mean, a lot of this information is coming from um, devs are starting to get like dev kits of these things, yeah. and then people are just mm. blurting out what, what it's all about, basically, yeah. from what I can yeah. tell. So the first one is Nintendo Switch's right Joy-Con um, seems to offer IR pointer, uh, infrared pointer functionality. This would lead you to believe that anything that is developed for the touch aspect of the actual Switch device itself um, will then be transferable onto the big screen whenever you're playing it on TV. Um, from a recent report, it has been said that the games will probably not um, be allowed to require touch, but if they do have touch, then the IR pointer um, will actually give that functionality for whenever you're actually playing it on TV. Um, another one is that there will be no Nintendo Switch handheld only package at launch, which means that whatever package you buy at launch will come with the dock and the handheld and the Joy-Con controllers as well. Um, plus yeah, I mean, did you, uh, that, that doesn't surprise no. me though, because the whole thing that they, that, you know, the whole proof of concept trailer is about it being this home yeah. and yeah. kind of mobile console in one not not no, they're it, kind of it's, it's like the marriage of the two isn't yeah, it's it? a two package markets. isn't it so you, yeah. you sell it as a package and that's it you don't get into multiple SKUs and confuse the you know uh confuse the audience you know because obviously that allows them to still say you know well the 3ds is the handheld yeah you know that's they, that's our handheld system because they call it their their family of systems won't they yeah. so it's kind of like it'd be it'd be odd to be pushing it as a 3ds success what you have to remember is that they they did confuse their audience with the wii u and Absolutely. oh yes you know <laughs> no one knew whether it was just a tablet or whether it was a console or it was one or the other and i think they've learned a lot of lessons from that and are now trying to keep things as simple as they can you know yeah, and also going back to that other one about the fact that it might have the whole, um, you know, like infrared, um, you know, like the almost like the Wiimote, yeah. how, how it can be used. I'm pleased to hear that because I was wondering, because, you know, a lot of people have been doing little mock-ups of what the Switch can look like. They've been putting different skins on it, and one of them was like a Pikmin 3 one, And because we know Pikmin 4 is in development, and if we are able to assume that that isn't, the 3DS Pikmin game that was announced, if it's going to be like a main franchise entry for the Switch, I was wondering how that would control. Mm. Because for ages, Miyamoto said, oh, you know, I'm not going to be able to do a traditional Pikmin game on the handheld. Like they wanted to do that for the 3DS before now, but they don't think, you know, they couldn't get it to work. So without it being sort of touch or being able to use 
a Wiimote-like control system, I would, it would, I'd be concerned about how that would play, because mm. anyone who's played Pikmin 3 before they patched it would tell you that it's so much easier to play and much more kind of like fulfilling and enjoyable to play when you've got the gamepad as the map and you've got the Wii Mote and Nunchuck as your actual control scheme. Like as I'm talking about obviously Pikmin 3 on the Wii U, I know that we're not going to be doing that on the Switch, like people will be relieved that they're not going to have to have all that legacy controllers to keep, but yeah, no, I was concerned if it was just going to be twin sticks and buttons, how a game like that would play. Mm. Uh, the other report is that there are there's no headphone port on the Nintendo Switch Pro controller. There had been a little bit of speculation, hoping that there was maybe going to be like a headset controller um, similar to the Xbox One and PlayStation 4 controllers, but that doesn't seem to be true. Uh, Nintendo Switch is to support micro SD cards um, up to 128 gig. So this will be the sort of external storage. Um, there's still nothing concrete about. The actual size of storage within the device itself, um, but certainly the fact that it will be supporting up to 128 gig is promising. There was some worry that even at 128 gig, depending on the size of the games themselves, that still might only be maybe three or four games. Um, but I very much doubt the Switch games will get anywhere close to maybe the sort of 30 odd gig or whatever that it would take, um, at least in the initial stages. Um, for it to actually fill up 128 gig. Yeah, I'm just saying I don't want to be in a scenario where I'm still having to take things off and put things on, like I'm thinking about the Vita and you've got Plus and you obviously get new games all the time and even if I've got a substantial memory card I'm constantly having to connect that Mm -hmm. up and offloading the game back onto either a PC or the PS3 and then I don't want to be doing that with this. I think you're going to have to end up uh, with this system, you're going to have to start seeing this as less as a home console and more as a portable console mm. that happens to attach to your telly. Because mm. I think a lot of people are coming to this and going, oh, this is the new big, you know, the big, brightest console that they can bring out. It, I don't think it is. I think this this is a handheld that just happens to upscale. Mm. And uh, mm. I don't think a lot of people have got their heads around that yet. And like these concerns, like seeing further down this list about it not having external USB support, yeah, you would imagine it wouldn't because if if you're wandering down the street and you've got um, you know Breath of the Wild attack, you know, on your hard drive and then you pick it up and walk away with it, well, where where is it stored? Mm-hmm. It's not going to be stored on the SD card, is it? It's going to be on your external drive that's at home. You're not going to be able to stream it. So, I think for ease. These things have been thought about and they have been taken out, but I think it's more. Um, tra- I think in their marketing going forward, they should be looking at showing this more as a as a portable device, as opposed to something that's constantly used. Just you sat down in the house mm-hmm. on the couch with the controller in your hand. Also, if the install sizes are anything like they are on the Wii U, 128 gigabytes is going to be more than enough because, yeah. like. Uh, Mario Kart with with both DLC packs clocks in at about six gigs. Yeah, yep. I mean, I think the biggest one was Lego City Undercover on the Wii U, and I think that was just clocking 
up the 32 gigs if i remember rightly there was something hmm. there was something about if back in my mind i remember something yeah, about you, you could just about storage. you could just about get that installed on the um the on deluxe the version on yeah on yeah, the pro it, version yeah. and um with a little bit of leftover and what have you certainly xenoblade chronicles x with all the extra downloads and what have you that sort of um speeded up the loading times and what have you was a sort of fairly substantial but again it might have only just been pushing towards the 30 yeah. gig um, but I don't think it actually was reaching it. Because the way I'm seeing yeah. this is it's going to be 720p, so therefore all your textures are going to be smaller. Uh, they're going to be doing fancy things with the textures to kind of compress them and stuff. Mm. But I would imagine that that base unit is just an upscaler. Yeah. We, you know, we, and and all it's doing is taking that 720p signal and then upscaling it to a 1080, and that's it. It's not. There's yeah. no power in that. There's no nothing. That's just a. It's just a fancy box to kind of get get a better signal. Like a. I don't know if you've ever heard of these things called a frame meister that they use to kind of upscale old consoles from 480 mm. to 720. It, it's going to be one of those kind of situations. It's going to be a, a low power box that just upscales upscales the image. Mm. So hopefully yeah, I mean, your file size will be smaller. Yeah, I think it's going to be. I don't know. I suppose we're an element of what potential consumer frustration would be is that it might exclude people from being able to go exclusively digital in the sense that if it's going to be like your breath of your wild your main kind of retail releases on it you get on the cartridge because then that's one way of saving space mm. and then you use your 128 gigabyte card for all your kind of digital uh, e-shop i guess purchases yeah. that mm. might be one way of kind of managing it whereas i guess i think for some people now they want to have the freedom it's going to be no different to the exclusively vita. digital no nah. it's going to be no different yeah. to the vita i mean we've been doing it for how long now on that system you, you you buy your cartridges to save like you say to save the space you load it you load your uh, psn stuff onto the sd card or whatever it is you know it's yeah that's yeah. it it works it's portable and it's not pulling down too much power. You know, it, that, that's the main thing. If you're thinking about battery life on this as well, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's, people are talking it's a three to four hour battery life. And if you're then, you know, cutting around uh, external drives and stuff like that, it's just it's just not, not workable. Mm. No. I think too many people are coming to this with the expectation that, that this is a big console. And... You know, there's too many, like I heard, heard Giant Bomb talking about, and they're like, well, I will never take this out of the stand, and I'll always just have it underneath my TV. And it's like, yeah, but you, you, you're, you're old guys who don't want to do anything other than get off the, never want to get off their sofa. A lot mm. of people playing this are going to be kids who are going to be taking this in cars. They're going to be, um, like, well, that's who they, this is through their marketing. Well, they're not. It? If it's you look at that, if you look at that trailer, that is all millennials. That's all hip. They're marketing it, hip, yeah. trendy youngsters. Okay, you're right, but what I mean is that they're aiming it at um, what is a sizable mobile kind of demographic. That's who they're yeah. chasing. It's like the it's the people that obviously currently have the 3DSs, and I know everyone's got them in Japan, but like predominantly as a huge demographic is still what you'd call like people were you know in their 20s early 20s and under and this this device because of its portability although yes they didn't play up the the family factor because they're trying to make a distinction between this and the Wii marketing Mm. 
you know, which is obviously predominantly for families. But no, I think that you're right. They, they're envisioning their market as trying to eat into the people that play on their phones and their iPads because they're obviously their portable devices. But also, you know, it will be, you know, the, 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 for the people that are interested in playing it on, on the go as the handheld. Yeah. I mean, I've heard loads of people say similar things to what you're saying. They're not interested in it because they are people who play games at home. So, like, the kind of defining characteristic of the Switch its mobility doesn't hold any interest for them no. and then that's why i can see why they would be concerned that it's underpowered because like you're saying it's primarily a handheld that's yeah. able to then be streamed to the telly whereas i think if it's going to be something that can either match the wii u's current graphics or maybe go slightly above that but it's portable then that's so much more appealing Absolutely. for me personally you know that i'd rather have that over than the the super powered like ps4 or the ps4 pro because i'll be able to do much more gaming because of the fact that i've got something that i can take with me like and i'm playing the same game on the same safe it's file. a very very and that's always been it's that's a very different perspective <laughs> yeah it's just a very very different perspective on gaming and it's not a traditional um perspective on it that we've been used to from you know the atari all the way through it's always been a box under the telly and now they're coming to you with this thing that isn't a box under the telly it's actually aimed to be portable first and then a box under the telly and that's very very different maybe maybe it's, it's a big gamble because I'm, I'm hoping it's it's what people want but i i mean i know in my life that i would love to have something that when my little man's a bit older i can just go right oh uh, just i'll play your games right hold on flick out the screen Oh, we're over at Nan's, right? Just flick out the screen, put it on its little stand, give him the two controls, and there he is playing away. I haven't got to turn the TV on, or mm. oh, how'd you plug this in and like yeah. cart a load <laughs> of wires around with me? And I, it's just a tablet I shove in a bag and shoot out the door with, and it's a pacifier. You know, that's going to be great, but it's not going to, like I say, I'm, I probably won't ever, if I ever get one of those, I don't think I'll ever have it docked under the telly, mm. ever. Whereas most people, most journalists are looking at it as something they want to have docked under their telly. So I, don't, I just don't know if there's going to be a bit of a... Who, who wins, you know? Who, who wins in that scenario? Like I think you'll end up with a lot of people doing um, hardware reviews of it who are glowing about it because they see it as a portable, portable device. And I think you'll see some other hardware places going, well, this is a terrible underpowered console. Yes, I yeah, I've got it. Yeah, it's just, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a really, really hard one to market. And I, I just hope that in their materials that they're gonna sort of play out the portable side a bit more and i think you'll see that more i think you'll just you'll never see it where the guys sort of sat down on the sofa mm. and if you do it's just gonna be quick vignettes of it but yep. there you go so as we said the other couple of reports then are that the uh, nintendo switch dock won't support the external usb drives uh, the trailer seems to sort of show a prototype powered um, by usb-c um, because the charging point is actually on the bottom edge of the uh, tablet device, it means it cannot be charged while it's in kickstand mode, which is a little bit disappointing, um, possibly. Um, but again, if you're playing in handheld mode and what have you, and if you're already playing on something like the Wii U, um, and because of the terrible battery life on the Wii U, you usually have that plugged in anyway, um, yeah. so that's not necessarily yeah. a big deal. The other couple of little reports that came out that haven't been completely substantiated as yet are the fact that the console will only have 4GB of RAM. Um, and this has been reported on a couple of websites. It was actually tweeted out by Emily Rogers um, at ArcadeGirl64 
on October 29th, and she just says, I have some good news, I can confirm that the Switch has 4GB of RAM in the retail units, not just the dev kit. Um, so while this is double the Wii U's RAM, it is actually half the size of uh, the PlayStation and the Xbox One, and would be comparable to um, something like the iPad Pro uh, 9.7 inch model. Well, there you go, um, yeah, that's what we are just saying. Um, <laughs> Yeah, it's not a huge deal. Um, four gig is still plenty, and again, if they're not necessarily going for the bigger um, games and what have you, then it's not such a big deal. Well, let's put it this way: on my on my PC, I've got a nine eighty Ti graphics card, and that's got six gig of RAM in it. <laughs> yeah, you know, so it's and that's more than enough to play like most games. Yep. So yeah, I mean, it's it is all down to the speed of the RAM as well. It dependent on you know how fast it can get through that chip as well. So, yeah. You know it may. I but knowing Nintendo, it's going to be um, your sort of basic four gig of RAM. And on on a seven twenty four gig of RAM for a seven twenty p resolution, that's more than enough. It's plenty. So that's, you know, that's as you were saying there. You know it's comparing the um, the Switch, which is going to be primarily a portable handheld device, to a console mm. that the gig of RAM is just daft. And it yeah. doesn't really compute. Uh, the one other little thing that I uh, know of that isn't actually written down here is the fact that the screen is about a 6.2 inch screen. Uh, so maybe a little bit disappointing in the fact that it's not even going up to the 7 inches. But the screen is comparable in size to what is currently on the Wii U. So in reality, without the bulk of the Wii U controller, the sort of size um, with the controllers and what have you of the screen um, with the Joy-Cons attached will be similar probably um, to a Wii U. So, which isn't necessarily a bad size and means that it's not going to be huge. Obviously, you'll still need to put it in a bag and what have you to take it out with you. And I'm sure Nintendo and other third-party um, suppliers will be quite happy to sell you numerous different cases um, for it. <laughs> um, but, no, I think that's going to be a really nice size. Uh, so it is. Yeah, I do. And I'll, as long as they can get the resolution up, which they have, from the gamepad to something closer to what the kind of Vita can uh, put yep. out. I mean, again, I'll, I'm happy, but I'm aware... With what Chaz is saying, that you know, actually, how many people is that really going to please? Because although I'm totally sold on from what I've seen um, already, uh, not just in terms of a, as a Nintendo enthusiast, I think it is serving a niche that I have in my own kind of way that I play games and choose to consume them. It's answering something, you know, it's answering a question that I've always longed for: Can I play the same game on the same safe bar on a console and a portable device but you're right I don't you know you're not going to be doing Wii numbers I don't think anything is going to be doing the you know the original DS numbers probably ever again no. you know? what you've also got to look at is that this is consolidating two markets if you think that the, the Wii U's done had disappointing numbers and the 3DS has done pretty gangbusters numbers really um, over its lifetime what you've got to be thinking is is that now you're consolidating both of those markets so now you've just got one set of very big numbers you know? yeah they're not necessarily saying that are they nintendo but you're right that's kind of where it's going to go because yeah. i although i'm actually surprised at how many games they have still got coming out for the 3ds ultimately i guess we will see a reduction in this multiple entries in the same franchise but for the different devices you know like we spoke about earlier 3d land for 3ds and then 3d world for wii u and that's obviously something that's very very prevalent in like the recent history of nintendo that yeah. they would do that whereas you're right ultimately you'd think they'd be combining those teams just to be making these kind of like single 
titles that go onto the Switch. Yeah. And you know, but I don't know. It'll be interesting to see how it develops. I mean, I, I think by and large, although there's some definitely been a bit of a backlash more recently. I think over in, in from what I can kind of gather, of course, within Nintendo circles, ultimately it's um, a very positive reaction to and, and one of interest I think that's kind of good as well it's that I think people are willing to wait and I think people are kind of satisfied with what they've been told so far and they're just excited to see what more is going to come but that's because we're not you know we're not all in the industry and we don't our, our livelihood isn't dictated to knowing everything about something immediately and then yeah. having to make our snap decision we can actually just sit back you know, listen to what Nintendo say in that um, presentation they're doing in January, and hopefully we'll start getting a bit more information about the games that are going to run and get to look at them and you know, sort of maybe envisage how that might fit into our kind of gaming life- lifestyles. I mean, I'm really excited for it, um, and I, they can take as long as they need. Yeah, it's the adaptability of the whole system for me that, that excites me. Is that, like I say, I can use it in the front room. I can, it can be used for my kids it can be used for me to just sit up in bed with like it's got so it's so versatile or it seems to be so far yeah no i agree so i wish because like one of the drawbacks of the wii u is the fact that you have to be almost within the same room Mm, to get solid playback on the gamepad so the fact that you can you know now take it to any room in your house and take it with you when you go elsewhere it's just a massive boom it's really kind of like ultimately in a way what i wish the wii u was yeah to begin. yeah a lot of people have been upset that the wii u now feels like an iteration like this feels like an iteration on the wii u and what it should have been and kind of like feel a little bit sort of mugged off that you know they've, they've, they've been beta testers almost for the switch <laughs> <laughs> well that uh, there's been a, a pleasurable you know guinea pig if that's the yeah. case people will the wii u will be re- remembered favorably it really will yeah. <laughs> Right, so quick shout outs. Um, right, so obviously, thank Jazzy thank for you. coming on today. Thanks very much, mate. Thank you for having me. It's glad it's to have brilliant. you back on. Yeah, it's good to hear your voice on the show again. Thank you. Um, you got any shout outs or, or uh, plugs? I'll just say um, if you're looking for anything from me uh, podcast wise, then do go to the AI bots on iTunes. Um, on there, you will find my honourable mentions, my new podcast. And that's it, yeah. And if you want to speak to me on Twitter, it's CH4ZZEE. Right, so uh, quick reminders. Uh, You can listen to our two Halloween-themed specials, uh, one Ballyhoo show on the two film adaptations of Silent Hill. I still can't believe you've muscled through both of those films. Um, (laughs) And I just released a playlist episode on Resident Evil 4. Uh, We hope you enjoy them this Halloween, and and, uh, your feedback, of course, is most welcome. Uh, future episode announcements. Our next Ballyhoo episode uh, will see us returning to the to Bill Willingham's comic book world of fables uh, with volume 2. We'll be discussing issues 6 to 10 which comprise the Animal Farm story arc. Uh, so get those comics read, listen to our previous episode on volume 1 of fables and the Wolf Among Us special we did uh, and let us know your thoughts. Uh, as always, you can get in contact with us, send us questions, suggestions, or feedback, etc., to anything we uh, or anything you'd like us to read out on the show. You can email us, which is lapsedgamerradio at gmail.com. Uh, you can find us on Twitter at lapsedgamer. Um, please uh, leave uh, like and leave comments on our uh, Lapsed Gamer Radio Facebook page and add yourself to the LGR Community Facebook group. Uh, you can check out the Lapsed Gamer YouTube channel as well as our occasional Lapsed Gamer Twitch channel broadcasts. 
Uh, and for more additional content and for more information about episodes and contact details, you can head over to our LGR blog, which is lapsedgamer.com. Um, you can find all of our podcast episodes to stream or mp3 download our Podbean web address which is lapsedgamerradio.podbean.com also please be so kind to subscribe and review Laps Gamer Radio on iTunes if that's the platform you use um, and I guess all that's left to be said is that uh, thanks for listening uh, today do let us know what games you've been playing what new stories are, are you catching your attention and if you'd like to be on a future episode with us um, so yeah thanks very much for joining tonight guys yeah, thanks yeah, for having thank us you. Mark and great to talk to you again Chazzy thank really pleased to hear everything's nice. going well with the family thank you very much cheers it's been brilliant to be on thank you for having me cheers bye goodbye cheers. bye